0: We just couldn't stay away. (laughs) We are back. What's up? The Mystifiers ride again. Six months off and now two days in a row. (laughs) But the gravy was just piping hot yesterday and I didn't want it to get stale, right? I, I didn't want to really lose our place in the weave. So we're going to be picking up where we left off. Appreciate all the support for yesterday's episode. And if you want a Hulk smash like button again share this podcast with whoever you know that likes these movies and is also esoterically inclined we appreciate it how you doing gabriel doing real good cramming for the for the show i went
1: and watched uh uh end game uh and what's the what are the last two um infinity wars and then end game uh pretty much got all the way through them today
0: uh just to freshen up. Yeah, I'm glad you did. I have watched all of them within like a, a month or so ago. So I'm pretty fresh and I'm just really excited to know uh, what kind of things you mind out of it. <laughs> so I've got, I've got slides to take us through some more of the first two films and you may yeah. have some images for us in the other films, but we've got about two hours to rock this chat and there's plenty to get into. So, you know, because it's also fresh. I think we'll just maybe dive right into it. So, you know, last time we covered a lot of the individual trauma of specific characters and their, you know, their hangups, if you will. And in this episode, that stuff will come up. Maybe there's a few that we haven't talked about specifically. But uh like what blows my mind about the Avengers movies is how. Every major scary psychological operation under the sun in like the last hundred years <laughs> is in some way uh, echoed or reinforced or, you know, the thumbs and the eyeballs pressed in deeper on these different things. So, you know, let's just jump right into it and yeah, see where buddy. it takes us. This is the slide we left off with. And, So in the, in the plot where this image is coming from, Loki is giving his big speech about how human beings are designed to kneel between to superior beings, to gods, right? And he's doing it in Germany, of course. And this, this courageous old man, he's the only one who wouldn't kneel. (laughs) Do you remember the one guy who won't kneel thing? Like, this yes. is not a singular occurrence, but anyway, the obvious, the very obvious on the nose trauma that is being invoked here is mean, you know, mean Mr. Mustache, mean Mr. Mustache. He's the bad man. He's the Donald Trump. He's whoever the person they want to call Hitler today is always re, you know, returning us back to that moment in history where 6 million people die, were supposedly killed in a, Place where that many millions of that particular uh, group didn't even exist. So, like, <laughs> oops, I should have said that on YouTube. I, I think I did say the uh, the trigger word, like the J word. So, yeah, anyway, right. uh, I'm not saying another bad happened, but it's like every operation, you don't let a good crisis go to waste. And so they're invoking this mean Mr. Mustache trauma. There's probably a lot we can say about it, but you know, I wanted to add something to the the weave regarding. Loki and Agmios. So I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna get back into that for a moment. Agmios is a Mercury character, obviously, as you can see from this uh, illustration on the left here, and he's actually referred to by ancient Greek authors and some Roman authors like Lucian or Lucian, depending on how you pronounce it, to be the Irish or the Kel- actually Celtic. I'm sorry, the Celtic Hercules. And what I there's so much about this character that is fascinating. And, you know, I like the fact that this is Hercules, Agmia or Agmios <laughs> as like, they're specifically referring. It's like, they're giving Hercules the descriptor of being Agmios. And, you know, this gets us into the Agam, the secret language the secret writing, which mm-hmm. I, I've even heard from a, an Irish speaker recently that the G in Agam is more like a Agam. Like I can't even do it right. Agum. <laughs> So it sounds like you're saying Om, like aum it sounds oh, yeah. like aum to me that's fascinating i think that there's something there uh but this agmios has the chains of golden chains going from his mouth to the ears of the followers meaning he is a god of eloquence he's a logos right. character this is a an attribute of many of the mercury characters he can um,
1: but- he can he can change their mind Yes. He has the ability to change their thoughts. Exactly,
0: buddy. Exactly. So when they're talking about Agmios in the ancient writings, they, uh, you know how Hercules, like the whole thing about Hercules and even Thor is actually a Hercules character in astrotheology in particular, that the Hercules constellation is the being in the sky that's in the kneeling position, holding the Vajra, which is Mjolnir for the Norse mythology. The fact that, This Loki type, uh, Agmios, who's literally described as uh, the force of eloquence, is his weapon. That where Hercules or Thor uses physical brute force, this version of Hercules uses eloquence as a force. And it's what you're talking about. Chains of mind changing. (laughs) Yes. And what's super fascinating to add to the weave that I really, like, you know, most of that was recap, right? But what I wanted to add to the weave that just flashed into my mind last night was how Loki has this scepter, right? His his caduceus of the the movie. And he's able to use this scepter, the staff, to secretly communicate to the black-robed Thanos alien priest guy on another world somewhere. So, this is exactly Agmios, dude, because the secret of Agam, the secret of the writing was done like this secret, these secret letters were put on staves, sticks. And that was actually how a message was transmitted from one place to another that no one could read except the elect, except who had the code, could break the code. And this was used for a really long time. So, Agmios represents this. I believe that Agmios originally. Maybe represented like the secret of letters, like knowing letters, and Uh then kind of later transitioned into secret letters. Not not that all letters were secret anymore, but this version of letters remained Uh secret. So the fact that he can use this staff to telepathically communicate to a priest like figure, black robed and everything is perfect. One to one, in my opinion, of the nature of thank you for the tea, sweetie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's a perfect one-to-one analogy to the nature of writing secret letters on a staff. Because yeah. in a sense, like the magic of letters and writing in general is that it's actually telepathy, that you are transmitting an idea directly it, from your mind into another mind and nothing even needs to be spoken aloud. So yeah. <laughs> I think that that's like, you know, as soon as I realized he's using that staff to telepathically communicate, I was like, oh, man, the Agmios weave is actually way more slam dunk than I realized.
1: Yeah, buddy. You know, I just learned a really cool cipher recently. Uh, kind of while digging into the Voynich manuscripts, I learned some forms of code, uh, historical, well known, time tested forms of code. And one of them is you take a staff of a designated uh, uh, thickness uh, uniformly, and you take a strip of whatever paper, probably leather, and you wrap it around the staff. And then you write your message uh, linearly from one strap to the next strap to the next strap to that next strap. And then you unwrap it and you fill in the blank space with meaningless garbage. And then the next person, uh, you know, anybody can take that strip and they can't decipher which letters fit into which place until they have a staff of the exact same thickness. They can wrap it around and then they just look and the message will come out every time.
0: That's brilliant, it, man. Yeah, we're talking it, ciphers, and yeah, you know what comes to mind that I want to share again is that this idea of a cipher is the exact same as the root of the S P R, the Sephiroth. You know, right. this is Kabbalah, yeah. and <laughs> man, here's another one that came to mind. I don't think I even told you about this yet, but I realized, you know, I, I don't know. This is like speculation, right? So high octane speculation here, but. Mm-hmm. We know a lot about the Kabbalah connection to the horse. First of all, <laughs> Kabbalah is like a transmission, sending a message, right? right. And then Kabbalah says a horse <laughs> is a word for horse. And the messenger rides a horse to go from place to place. Well, Jennifer was telling me about some video she saw where a lady was speaking to her horse and asking it questions. and communicating with it directly in like, you know, way more high level than even communicating with the dog. And it makes sense. It's a bigger being. It's got more life force energy. It's a big vessel of divine spark and intelligence. So like the horse, she would be like, where does this go? And she would show it a hat and the horse would put the hat on her head. And she'd be like uh, asking it, you know, do you like apples? And it would like nod its head. And like, do you want to eat some meat? And it would be like, so (laughs) It makes me wonder, especially if there's some kind of cycle of consciousness, uh, like rising and falling over time, that if human, like, when we look at the the mystery traditions of the ancient world and how they came up with these systems, it's like there may have been a time of a different level of consciousness than what we see here, or just the amount of information in the world was less. And so the ability to focus and pay attention was higher. I mean, one thing about these druids where this Agnios tradition comes from and uh, Agam itself is that they were averse to keeping any of their secrets in writing that they cherished the power of memory above all else. That that's like, if you were putting all this stuff down in writing, you were wasting the potential of the power of your memory, which there's so much to that, dude. There's so much to that. I mean, look how much of a struggle it is for us to keep track of all the different details uh, that we see in these films. And so, Anyway, to finish the thought, man, like what if the Kabbalah, the, Ka- the Kabbalas of Kabbalah with horses is that like I- I'm just imagining sending a messenger with a-, a written like a letter on a horseback, but secretly the horse actually had a message, but you had to be able to talk to the horse and <laughs> like no one's <laughs> talking to the horse. So they don't even know that it's got some info. You know, is that the, is that a secret transmission? Just, you know, just wild speculating, but there's got to there's gotta be something to it. Oh, shit, Snake Jones
1: in the chat. What's up, dude? Long time Yo, no brother. Yeah, man. Uh, so one of the fictional series that I read as a kid had an entire uh, race of uh, people who were uh, uh, the masters of horses, and they could communicate with horses. And that was one of their uh, specialties. And it was really cool in that fantasy. It was uh, the David Eddings series and in that uh in that fantasy paradigm it was really neat because they were able to like see where the horse had been and communicate and get uh intel on a level that nobody else had access to i love that theory and it doesn't come from nowhere that's another thing you know we talk about horse whisperers uh and um the kings have always really valued their their uh their horse and their horse breeders and the whole co- culture around, uh, horse culture. Uh, and I believe that, Sir, uh, Francis, Sir Francis Bacon's father was like a member of the Royal grand poobahs of all, uh, of the horse of the stables, keepers of the stables. And yeah, you're probably onto something. There's a, probably a lot of communication going on on a subtle level there.
0: Well, I mean, oh, yeah. Not Not to beat the dead horse, but (laughs) horses do symbolize also the idea of shipping, the idea Mm -hmm. of a ship. I mean, there's so much Mm -hmm. horse symbolism on ancient coinage as well. It's fascinating. And this comment above from Brianna, I think it was who said it. uh, No, no, it was Lou. uh, Polymapping. But, you know, you're all on point, Brianna, too. About horses having like are equal to humans in level of consciousness. I mean, some humans. Yeah, I think so. I, I wouldn't. I don't think we can say every human being is at the level of consciousness of each other. Right. Not to criticize your comment, but like horses, (laughs) there are some horses that are probably even like at a higher level of consciousness than some humans. I could buy that. And why I say that especially is because like on theme with the talk about trauma that these characters go through, how there are horse therapists, man, there are like horse energy workers. And Mm -hmm. I mean, when I first heard about that, I kind of, shrugged it off like oh is that silly but it's not because they have such powerful active and like awa- like so much vibrant life force energy right that they can have complex levels of trauma and belief system damage in a way similar to humans and i find that really interesting as well
1: yeah and for a person to tune into that is a good means of shedding off a lot of uh a lot of your programming you've got to get past a lot of your programming to tune into a horse's level you know i have a couple of horses where i take my walk and they uh they come and they approach me pretty regularly and it's like it's just so it's it's such a gift you know to be it it's a compliment when they approach you you know it's uh, it's really sweet zero loves it <laughs> He got to kiss his first horse last week.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, my little one, Gimli, he's met a horse before. Uh, uh, yeah, they're, they're very powerful, amazing animals, no doubt. So that's just something for us to keep in the back pocket. Not exactly Avengers related, but it's been on my mind, like, our horse is the secret messengers. <laughs> is that what part of, the, part of the, uh, the secret here? So getting back to um, Mean Mr. Mustache Trauma. Yes. I don't know if there's more we want to say about that specifically, but like some of the slides coming through uh, that I have left from what I prepared yesterday are whether or not we linger on any of the points for very long. I just want to hit on all of the significant world trauma events and how they're invoked in the films. And yeah, yeah, well, this is definitely one of them. Do you have any thoughts on like other ways you see that particular style of trauma being used in the films? Because I think um we do see that with like, the Hydra agents being kind of Nazi-like, but also kind of like uh, KGB or Russia scare as well. Those things are getting really conflated together.
1: Yeah, man, there is so much to parse out with all of that. Um, But one thing to just uh, make a historical point on is that, you know, Carl Jung wrote uh, very extensively about the spirit of Wotan rising up in the European consciousness in those days. And um and so the fact that uh you know the German and the Russian uh history is baked into the this North mythology, uh it makes it very significant. so the yeah, the fact that we're talking about that, that they're in Germany while this is happening, uh the you know the spirit of Odin uh has definitely taken on a flavor for both sides of those fences, Germany and Russia, uh in its own way. That's probably a good good book to read. I've never read uh, Carl Jung's Wotan book.
0: Well, we can also maybe throw onto the fire here how the, you know, if we are able to link some druidic secret symbolism to the character here, which I think is there. I mean, I wasn't 100% sure till I realized he could use the staff to telepathically secretly communicate to the dark secret priesthood then i was sure like okay this is druid shit and um the you know back to mean mister mustache this guy was using the symbolism of the oak leaf on the ss uniforms the ss is the uh you know they're the death squads or whatever right and the druids would do a lot with oak trees <laughs> in terms of with sacrificial uh symbolism there's a lot there as well uh with maybe sure. the leaf other people to think about it and go deeper in another point.
1: Yeah. And it just goes to prove how important it is, you know, that uh, even in incredibly influential high up places, they are still adhering to symbolic consistency.
0: That is, yeah, that's the way to put it. So, uh, you know, you're just getting more into the the Thor of it all, the Odinism, This character we didn't talk about specifically, but he has a lot of, like, what they're playing on for him is the trauma of loss and grief. It hasn't really hit yet for him, other than it begins with the losing of the brother, right? That's kind of the onset of it. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I didn't quite make this point, but with Loki being this Agmios character, Agmios being the... Hercules of the Celts to me, it's like a, the fact that they, the ancient writers were calling him Hercules is like, okay, we're able to see an example of how all of these characters are just uh, aspects of the Godhead, right? That, you know, we, well, here we are in these films and in modern pop culture and Thor and Loki are separate beings, but in a mystical sense, there are two aspects of the same being they are also <laughs> they're like jacob and esau right mm-hmm. jesus and john uh all the different uh pairs R- R- romulus and remus the the good twin the bad twin that's a big part of it too
1: yeah man uh the this the seed of all things can be found within its opposite uh that, that's definitely part of correspondence it's like uh a lot of people just kind of miss out on how, when you when you see re- something that's red, like we talked about last night, the book that started the MK Ultra programming was red. Well, the end result of the program, when he ran went and did the o- operation, he came back and he brought the the serum, which was in blue, and so that red and the blue opposites is like uh, indicates the full cycle.
0: And then in the chat, Josh is mentioning a connection between Odin or Wotan and Buddha. Philologically, in the the language, yeah, B and W have the ability to switch. So, Woda, Buddha is definitely there. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, both of these characters are... uh, uh, Actually, David Matheson has a good article about this on his website, Star Myth World. But how, you know... Just as Hermes, as a a giver of language or thought, the god of scribes and writing, Odin receives the runes. So again, Loki is Hercules slash Thor is Odin. (laughs) They're all aspect. It's kind of like these trinities are actually divisions of the one being. Right? We we say that so many different ways, but uh, both you know Buddha and Odin go on a journey to for enlightenment, and that journey terminates at a tree (laughs) so there's probably so many more ways that they could be associated but that's Mm -hmm. to me like the the big themes are the ones that matter the most in in syncretism of course
1: yeah you know probably uh i'm thinking a little bit about like uh you know socrates he was charged with uh uh making the lesser argument into the stronger and that was part of why the population really hated him, um, and also for corrupting the youth. Uh, and those are kind of, uh, in a strange way, those are attributes of what the uh, mean mustache man was was doing. Uh, you know, uh, polemics, uh, debate, uh, but also corrupting the youth, uh, you know, teaching the young ones to sig heil, get, get to war, get to killing.
0: And I think we'll return to this idea of Thor with uh, the trauma of loss and grief. But that what maybe is worth saying about it going forward is how again, like we, we touched on yesterday by this is the character that like so many guys are going to identify with. Right. I mean, we talked about how the, uh, the, the strong man. <laughs> Different, like many empires of the last hundred years have a big association with gods like Thor and Odin to the point now where, uh, you're, you're probably on some list somewhere. If you come out and identify as a Thor follower or an Odinist in terms of being like, Oh, they're probably like a a racist Nazi. They're probably like one box away from being a Nazi. (laughs) If they, you know, like that's how it's seen in the mainstream at this point. But that being said, so, so easy to identify with these like strong alpha male type characters, which is uh, healthy, actually, you know, th- this is a a healthy male energy, you know, a lot of ways. But then what happens with the, the loss and the grief that is incorrectly processed or not able to be emotionally dealt with Thor winds up like fat, overweight, drunk, just play- like watching TV all day <laughs> and becomes a loser due to his loss that is a dangerous neural pathway to forge for people because everybody's going to lose somebody in their life and to see your hero in his moment of loss having the reaction of fully bottoming out zeroing out you know he does crawl his way back out but he's got eternity you know he's immortal <laughs> uh, our lives we we don't have that same level of time And so every time you zero out in life, it is an opportunity to come back stronger, but you also lose, not lose, but like there's a chunk of your life where you're not living up to your potential. Uh, Your potential has been drastically diminished. And, you know, think about a plant or a tree. It may suffer some serious damage in some kind of storm and it may bounce back. But compared to the one that never got stunted or damaged, they don't express to the same level of strength. And so I I guess what I find is like negative about this or in a mind control way, uh, if you know, we're keeping that on the table that these heroes trauma arcs are in uh, some way hooks being planted into people's minds is like, is this an excuse to zero out if things don't go your way or if uh, there's something that's making you sad? I'm not saying that it is an excuse, but like, is that unconsciously more of a parent option? Because like the hero that you suspend your disbelief to watch on the screen has that thing, uh, has that exact expression. Yeah,
1: man. Yep. Uh, I just watched the the scene today where uh, he sees his mom on the day that she's going to die and he starts to try to pussy out. And he's like, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can do this. And then Rocket is like, Come here. Yeah, come on, come here, come here. Bam! Smacks him in the face. And he's like, Look, man, everybody lost everything. Uh, and some of us barely have anything uh worth worth saving. And you're gonna and you're gonna back out when there's a chance that some of us might get something back. Uh gives him the the pep talk, which is uh kind of a fascinating part of. Uh, what I'm seeing with this whole thing is like with the lockdowns, there are some people who are going to make this, you know, their pep speech would be like, okay, yeah, people died from the whatever, from the whatever, the the thing that shall not be named. But we also know that other people died from the alleged remedy from the thing that shall not be named. So no matter how you cut what just happened with the lockdowns, everybody lost somebody, uh, regardless of how you frame it up. You know what I mean? Some people really think that it was one side of the coin and other people think it was the other side of the coin. But either way, people were lost, you know, and we all kind of need to kind of come together and realize that uh, it's just one coin.
0: Yeah, I think actually to have room to really talk about <laughs> that element, we should probably mosey through the slides pertaining to the first two movies, because that end war or uh, end game and Infinity War stuff is. I mean, it truly was the tipping of the yard. <laughs> so yes, I want to you know. get us there. So I'm going to move us through kind of the obvious stuff. This end of the movie, Avengers 1, the attack on New York occurs. And so, so we see all this imagery of twisted rubble and, you know, burned out cars and dust in the air. Dust in the air is the big imagery sink, right? Buildings being demolished and all that. Even towers are shown getting damaged. Uh, and it's coming from the air. Right. The attack is coming from the sky. Good call. So very clearly, this is opening up the 9-11 trauma. I mean, yep. do we <laughs> need we even say more? Like we're just hitting on the highlights of how all the big stuff has occurred um, in the world is brought back yep. in these movies.
1: I, I would also point out that Thanos, uh, he is rocking one. He and Doctor Strange both share the Pluto on their chests, the symbol of Pluto. And so Pluto returning into Aquarius is Pluto, the demolition element coming into the air sign. So all of that is very correspondent to the, uh, you know, us returning to the uh, Pluto's return from the signing of the Declaration of Independence, 248 years, uh, definitely a a big fat reset in the in the uh, in the stars.
0: And now yep. here, I'm going to get more into why I, I yesterday called Tony Stark, Yoni Stork.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: there's so many reasons, so many reasons, but in this battle of New York, these giant whale monsters are flying out. Um, I think I even grabbed an image of them, but maybe not. No big deal. We probably remember what they looked like. Giant, like mm-hmm. robot whale monster creatures, and there's a bunch of them, and kind of all the Avengers got a chance to take one down. So Tony, like we're seeing these big whale monsters and probably at least somebody out there is thinking like, I know I was thinking it who's going to go into the belly of the whale. (laughs) And then like they can't help themselves. They actually reference the tale of Jonah and actually in so many ways, this idea of the, uh, Jonah and the whale story in the bigger picture of what that represents mystically is demonstrated throughout this series, actually repeatedly, probably in every film, to be honest. You're right. You're totally so, right. Although in the kind of like churchian Sunday school level of the mythos, the story of Jonah and the whale is just simply that as like a punishment, this guy gets swallowed by a whale and then spit out after three days. And we know that's all astro-theology. We know the whale is Cetus. We know um Jonah's the dove. Uh Hebrew word for dove is yo uh Yuna, which is where we actually transliterate to get the name Jonah. And Yuna is very similar to Yoni. Again, it means dove. So Jonah and the whale in a nutshell is actually a recapitulation of the Argo story, of the flood myth, because It's the destruction and regeneration of the world. And that's kind of the symbol uh, that I want to point out with the Yoni as well. And why I'm calling Tony Stark, the Yoni Stark Yoni symbolism is dove symbolism. They go hand in hand and the Yoni or the, uh, the Yoni, the dove being released from the Ark in so many different versions of the myth is the point of course, where like we know that we've been saved. So Tony and Yoni rhyming. He actually is the Jonah figure in so many ways. He's the one that is the savior. Um, He figures out the time travel to bring everybody back in the end of the series. He saves the world from the meteoric extinction event in Avengers 2, right? He -hmm. takes the fight away from Earth to save the entire Earth from being invaded by the aliens in in the third movie. Uh, He thinks (laughs) we won't talk about his role in Captain America 3 maybe in this context, but the fact that he's the Christ uh, stand in and he sacrifices himself at the end and everything. So he's definitely the dove of the series. And then why I put Stork instead of Stark is because, he, and he's riding inside the arc. He's in the suit, you know, like he's in a right. type of arc. What's it, what's the thing called on his chest, Gabriel, The the reactor that powers his whole, his whole suit keeps him alive. I don't know what do they call it. Arc reactor, bro. It's an arc
1: reactor. Holy you shit! You not you okay? You well, not? well, this. Is, so he is um in the tarot cards. He's the hierophant. He's the chariot card, and he is also the uh, the hermit. And this particular image uh, is very much uh, It's the same image I used uh, to relate him to the chariot card, uh, because they say that the chariot is a uh, in. Uh, involves highly focused mindset, and he's literally using this the suit to focus in when he's uh, you know when he's honing in on his targets. But also, the chariot is in Cancer, and Argo is in Cancer. The Argo is a minor decadent of Cancer. And then another thing that's just kind of been floating in the back of my mind lately is a lot uh, how the word hierophant chariot and hermit all have the hrt they all have the hrt and it's we're at the heart of the of the story he's he's the salvation but also how cancer is the heart of the anatomical zodiac as well uh leo so right yes
0: yeah the heart of that astrological right. man
1: Yep. So it's like we're uh, we're in the chest, we're in the treasure chest, and that all of that is like the vessel. Oh yeah, cancer's like the box itself, isn't cancer like the actual torso? Yes. Yep. It's the rib cage, all of those things, and then the Leo the is the heart in the middle there. Uh, So yeah, Uh, very apropos. I love this image, you know. And if you think about in the Chariot, like in uh, the Rider Weight tarot, because I was focusing on Rider Weight when I did the uh, Avengers, I see more Rider Weight esque energies than I see, uh, the Thoth, uh, for some reason, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure why, but I'm definitely seeing way more Rider weight in Avengers. Um, and that probably means something, but, uh, the chariot of the Rider Weight has the two, uh, lions, the two Sphinxes, the two chimeras in front of him. And that is very much indicated by this red and the blue contrast of the suit. It's a constant theme that he's got red on one side and blue on the other. And he's uh, staying centered in the middle, just like cancer, holding up the vaults of the heavens, the Kyborium.
0: I wonder oh, what that means in context of his two onboard AIs that we see in the series. One is Jarvis and one is Friday. Right. You know, is that kind of like a J and a B if we look at the FB <laughs> swap, these two pillars here?
1: I, I dig that. I totally dig that. Yeah, I've wondered that too. female and a male one too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one for each of these Chimeras that he has control over. Totally.
0: Oh, the other thing, like okay, so why I put him at why I put Tony Stork, right? The stork is symbolic of the Pelasgi. The Pelasgi are the with the a type of or like an offshoot of the Phoenicians. They're the Phoenicians that brought the letters to Greece. Unless I'm getting that wrong. Luckily we have like the expert in the chat, Dylan, <laughs> he'll correct me. But the Pelasgi are symbol symbolized by the stork. And what did they bring to the different areas? was the secret of letters back to that whole weave. And actually, so Tony Stark, what he takes around the world in his role as the stork or the, you know, he's this business tycoon guy. He is selling technology. I mean, it's specifically mostly weapons technology at first. And then he branches out into more peacenick stuff. But yeah, Pelasgir with the Greeks call the Phoenicians. Okay, I got that right. Um So the word technology before it was applied, I'll say it a million times. I'll say it again. Before technology was a word applied to things that we call it today, consumer electronics, iPhones, computers. The word means language, but not just any language. It means the terms of art, technical language. And that's what, you know, (laughs) Priestcraft thrives on, first of all. That's what what navigation requires. You have to have technical language. That's what law requires.
1: Yeah, buddy. I love how you you say, you even say priest craft, you know, (laughs) language is a vehicle and there are different, there are different vehicles for different types of water. You know, you need a canoe for if you're, if you're kayaking or doing the rapids and you need this kind of boat, if you're going on a long journey Uh, and each one of the different types of journeys would be uh, different. Uh, terms of art different types of uh, you know dictionaries for different art forms
0: precisely man and then when it comes down to the nature of modern technology and in particular what we are being told as AI and what they fictionalize as AI in this series well is Tony Stark (laughs) what is he more than a master of technology of language Because everything, you know, they show you the graphic of like the neural network artificially generated in the hologram of Jarvis or Ultron and these AI minds that live in the computer. But if that works like what we understand computer technology to work like, then that's code. That's secret language, right? So I think calling him Yoni Stork is 100% allowed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, there's probably way more we could weave on with that but we got to move forward because there's so many fucking great gems yeah, in mind yep. and i know you've got really great prep so i don't want to take up more than the next 20 minutes just going through these slides so i might move through it
1: i'll just say this his apotheosis moment when he builds his own uh suit for the first time and he pops out of that cave he, he becomes uh he comes out of a stony arc and that is when he uh this little flamethrower sets everybody on fire and he's embodying both the, uh, hierophant and the hermit card in a strange way, which are both earth element, uh, stations of the Zodiac. Uh, but then he's using the, uh, the flamethrower, uh, which is kind of a baptizing by fire, which gives you the water of cancer. In the heat oh, man, of the that's summer. a good weave
0: too. Yeah. It makes me think of the stone lentil, like archways and, um, things like that that are common to the tumuli and sepulchral towers that are part of the evidence of cultural diffusion throughout the entire world. Yeah. We see these burial mounds, piles of rocks that also, you know, became towers in the more advanced parts of whatever this empire was. Right. And yeah, yeah, Tony had his, he died in there. He literally died on the table. Like that was a sepulchral, sepulchral, uh, tomb for him and even his armor that he comes out in is like a sarcophagus as well right he dies in that thing you know <laughs> it is right. a sarcophagus
1: and we and that's the uh it's also right in between all of these things you know all of these stations uh, cancer's right in the middle we're going taurus we're skipping gemini we hit cancer we skip leo and then we hit virgo so it's like every other one it's like nice and symmetrical but that dying part that's the three days that the soul stays where the solstice, the sun stays uh, in place for three days at the top of the, uh, the analima there. Very balanced.
0: Okay, so obvious <laughs> symbolism here. <laughs> the aliens, when they attack New York, the portal that they come out of is projected from a blue beam. <laughs> Need I say more? I mean, I hope, like, I think the audience is pretty uh, hip to that, Project Blue Beam. If not, you know, Google that. I don't even care that much about it. It's just funny how yep. they they pull on these particular strings
1: you know i I'll, I'll uh I'll just point out that the blue beam operation has been uh has been fully operational for quite a long time now, and it goes back all the way to the avatar film where they love bombed us with like next level cinematic experience uh where we attached Uh, to these indigenous blue beings Uh, and it hit our heartstrings in a major way. And I remember people talking about coming out of those theaters and being depressed when reality was not as beautiful as the movie. So they would go back and watch the movie like 30 some times, like they were getting this dose of, of love. Well, a strange thing about that is that uh, that was, prepping us to get, have a sense of sentimentality to the blue light spectrum of our own phone over time.
0: Dylan has just put in the chat something. I did not know this. He says the Hebrew term for paganism is alien worship.
1: Oh man. See, (laughs) that's a whole can of worms right there, bro. (laughs) Uh,
0: Yeah. I would like to chase that down another time. That's really good. Thank you for that, buddy. Bro, that's like we're going to have to do a whole show just on that, Dylan. <laughs> uh, maybe there will be a reason to return to that idea when, if and when we talk about <laughs> the Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, if oh we ever God. turn our crossers to Star Wars or... Anyway. I'm also interested in maybe like Lord of the Rings and Tolkien. I just want to keep this... You know, I, I would be uh, open to expanding outside of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, because even if we talked about other things, we're still marvelous, and we're still demystifying. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, brother. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Super fun series, dude. Ah, buddy. Really love having you on here. Uh, And Gordy, by the way, we didn't address this. There's no lost love for Gordy. He just needed a recharge tonight. So, you know, he's got the link. If he pops in, we'll be happy to see him, and we'll, he's gonna, you know, return when we come back strong with another decode, but yeah, I man, just needed to keep this steam going while we had the waxing full moon past the court, or waxing towards the full moon past the quarter point. You know, yeah, but so you know, okay. It's, in terms of the blue beam, I just to reiterate, there's tons of trauma in our DNA about alien invasion, and it's not about aliens from the sky per se, but that when somebody showed up on a boat, you get the swords ready you know like (laughs) we don't know if this is going to go well in fact like those networks of towers tumuli and stupas and whatnot in particular in britain seem to have some kind of defensive element to it right it's not just the burial sepulchral aspect but it's also to be watchtowers and Back to the notion of communication and secret communication. I think that there were like smoke signals going from place to place via those towers. And that's a way to send messages across a long distance really fast. And man, were the ancients super, super creative (laughs) with how they they did their transitive uh, communication. But yeah, alien pertaining to foreigners and stuff with the Hebrew word. That's a good clarification. I mean, that was uh, evident, but... You know, there's I think, so there's so much to that. Like
1: you know, they ramp if-
0: up in modern times this idea that like they're even doing these. First they they get everyone hot about disclosure, 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 and then they give little leaks of things like, you know, the the navy knows about UFOs, and then they show us a weather balloon that is <laughs> a satellite that's actually a weather balloon that they're passing off as some kind of uh, mysterious object when it probably just started to like leak helium and was coming down. But, you know, in my opinion, those are what we consider satellites are these weather balloons, but they were constantly getting prepped for some kind of simulated alien attack in my opinion. And especially through Hollywood, especially, I, I even heard that, um, some I think Jennifer mentioned that maybe it's the movie independence day. We're not sure about this, but that maybe the, uh, when the white house gets blasted in that movie, it may have us. even been a blue beam laser that comes from the ship and blows up the White House. Yeah, man. Such a trip. Uh
1: in psychology, they have the phrase, it is foreign, therefore you fear it. You know, uh that's a psychological phenomenon. And one thing I love is how like uh uh by learning other languages, you minimize the likelihood of having a fearful response to things. You know, if you if you can identify it and uh kind of penetrate its linguistical meaning, uh, then it kind of uh, takes the edge off of things. Uh, and, and, but they use that in medicine. You know, they have all these medicines like remdesivir. Like how terrifying of a name for medicine could they possibly have come up with? You know, I, I often believe that they're they're uh, intentionally making the
0: names of the medicine sound foreign and extreme and strange. Uh, I think it's like straight out of some apocryphal grimoire and these are the names of demons. I think you're right, man. I think you're right. Enjoy (laughs) Zizal. Side effects may include suicidal thoughts. That's a demon, dude. (laughs) It's demonic possession. (laughs) So so in terms of like that Hebrew word pertaining to uh, paganism transliterating to alien worship, that to me, like it is possible that the real alien is the being that exists disembodied of consciousness in yeah, some way. Man. And that gets us straight into this battle between the fiction and the reality, right? That, oh. you know, because we're never going to be able to nail down any reality to like demonic entities. Everything that we experience with that type of stuff is a subjective experience. And being disincarnate, not in a body, if there is any, you know, sub, uh, subjective way to communicate with this type of energy, in a way you're making it up as well. <laughs> it's you know you're you're creating this idolatry of separateness between you and some source of power, and you're even flavoring it with this dark uh, tonality to it. It's very interesting. And you yeah. know, if there was a holistic way to uh, to do demonolatry and like maybe the origins of it that weren't so uh um, dark perhaps it would be the spirits of past on human beings and i think that that's what the idea of demons actually first pertain to but now we've created this huge aggregoric uh evil spirit infernal energy thing around the terminology and it's very intertwined with the idea of aliens and and abductions and all that Right. You know, this is
1: kind of a this is a a very large weave. But I believe that uh, lies or withheld truth uh, generates a potentiality in people who are not receiving the full in all of the information. When the truth is withheld from them, it's like a bubble in the in their consciousness and over time, they will associate a face or a shape or a demonic spirit or something onto the bubble that is already animated from the by ignorance. It's a negative space. It's a, a missing key uh, to the facts of the realm. And then they project a uh, you know a, a demonic uh, personality onto that negative space. And I hope that made sense. But that's me just trying to sum it up. It it makes
0: sense. I mean, it's, it's um, just deepening of the illusion of separateness and a further slide towards schizophrenia, like a tuning I had for a guy recently, not that he was anywhere close to schizophrenic, but (laughs) you hear about like the monkey on your back, right? Or even people that have a type of psychic vision Well, sometimes, and I myself, like one time I went to a casino on mushrooms and I saw little fucking imps on people's shoulders while they were zoned out at the slot machines. Freaked me the hell out. I never went back to a casino again. I was just there to kind of walk through and be like, this will be interesting on mushrooms. No, (laughs) it was pretty scary. (laughs) But so the idea of the monkey in the back and how the demon maybe could operate in a biophysical level that is a holistic approach to understanding it that doesn't separate us from our own power. And this is just one way of understanding it. It's not maybe the only way that this could be comprehended, but that like, here's the example. The guy had been having pain in his upper middle back, like between the shoulder blades, a lot of pain. And long story short, when we got to the bottom of it, it was a moment where when he was like four years old, he saw his mom and dad having a big blowout fight and he had an older brother and the older brother and the mom she's like grabbing the older brother and like I'm taking him and I'm leaving and so at that moment he had this huge crushing experience as the 4-year-old where like wow mom's leaving and she's not taking me she's just taking my brother I'm not wanted and that was stuck in the solar plexus region of his energy body and so like metaphorically in some sense mm-hmm. the 4-year-old version of him he'd been giving a piggyback around and getting yeah. kicked in the back by this angry little four-year-old for uh, like years. <laughs> and it just gets worse as that thing goes further and further unrecognized. Right. And it gets confirmed in other, with other context over so time. So demonic attachment or demonic possession in one light of seeing it is our own fragmented life force energy and other, like a ghost of a previous version of our psychic self-image that never got resolved and got stuck left behind because it was too difficult to acknowledge what that version of self was like. And it's like, we can't deal with that. We're pushing that over here. And so you actually schism your own psyche and in your own psychic universe, your inner verse, the other versions of you can be living there and they're repeating the moment or the time period of trauma over and over again. And not only are they holding back, a bundle of your own personal life force energy just to be animate and exist in your psychic realm. But the virtues of yourself at that age can also get stuck in that like big time. (laughs) I'm I always bring things back to tuning, but anyway, I think we should move on for brevity's sake. But uh, but all of that stuff is tied up in this aliens trauma, dude, (laughs) demons (laughs) and everything.
1: Yep. And even like uh, people who are into the, you know, the book of Enoch, uh, you know, it goes that far back. This program of like some other whatever foreign thing is going to come and steal your woman, steal your family, steal, you know, uh, bring in the lack mentality. Ideal wife, ideal
0: kids. Okay, so then like right there in the midst of all the other 9-11 and beam alien trauma. Then the shadowy deep state figures decide they're going to nuke New York. Even the New York and nuke have like some philological. Oh, wow. Yep. Syncretism that just rolls off the tongue like that. But they're nuking New York to stop the alien threat. And so here we go. Remind you all that at any moment, these shadowy figures of the deep state or poopy pants, uh, fresh prints of smell hair. Can just, you know, grab the nuclear football and type in the secret code, secret language, and you get, you know, worldwide devastation, world ending. So silly. <laughs> like <laughs> I know you're probably on board with the whole, like, nukes are fake and gay, too. Uh, but that's how I feel about them. <laughs> like, the whole notion of it is so silly that he, we could destroy the creation But, you know, big bombs, I'm I'm not saying that they don't exist, but like world ending nuclear fallout, radiation and all that. There's way more reason to not believe in it than there's any reason to believe in it. So that's hopefully a spell that people have broken for themselves already. I encourage people to let go of that spell if they haven't. And if they need to do some digging and look for themselves to break the spell, I invite them to do so. But that is not a trauma that needs to be carried around. But it is one that, for like our parents' generation, they drilled into them so hard. Get under your desk. You know the bombs are coming. P- pretend that the bombs are coming. Get under your desk. It's not going to do anything. But it's the. It's exactly like what you talk about with how um, you you can wire mental pathways with physical routine behavior. Right. Yes. Yep. And and it's
1: a. Uh, We're. Or- those drills are training people to become extra compliant in a stressed situation uh, and to give them a false sense of like, oh, as long as I'm compliant, then maybe I'll come out OK. Uh, uh, yeah, it's quite, it's so far out. It's so far out. Even like a uh, single file is, um, you know, standing in a line. Just gives people a sense of oh there's order, there's organization, at least everything's organized. If the place is on fire, at least we're all standing in line, you know, pretty far
0: out so yoni Stork takes the uh the nuke, the <laughs> symbolic sperm through the whole yoni in the sky <laughs> and the big bang occurs <laughs> on the other side in the in the hole I mean like so much. Everything comes down, like, in the esoteric, everything does boil down to the the mysteries of fertilization and birth, right? And that's what this moment of triumph really represents, is right. that he has inseminated the uh, the world, in a sense, and uh-huh. the destruction phase is over, and the regeneration phase is now beginning, and it's a rebirth moment, and now the world... It was before the Avengers, before they knew about aliens. Now everyone knows about aliens. Now they have the Avengers. So there is an old world that dies. New world is born out of this moment. And it's complete with very, very evident symbolism of insemination.
1: <laughs> uh, oh, you know what else comes to mind? Uh, the fact that um, his father, Tony Stark's father, was cast in his the early versions of his father, was intentionally cast. To be an imitation of Jack Parsons, uh, who's who's probably a complete and total fabricated construct. I mean, P. Arsons is his name. Uh, you know, P is the is the flag, it's the phallus, and he blew himself up. It, like, when their names prophesize their uh their fate, it, it's kind of too much for me to uh, to buy into. But that just makes sense that Tony's always uh riding these rockets to the highest point. Uh, cancer being the, the you know, the keystone of the Zodiac. But um, also, eventually he is replaced by one character who can fly even higher than him, and that is Captain Marvel. Uh, she's actually aw- always off planet, going to other places, doing business elsewhere. She's too busy for us on Earth. That's kind of part of her persona. Well, uh, Captain Marvel is Jack Parsons. Uh, it, through the tarot, uh, she's the high priestess card, but uh, Jack Parsons' birth name was Marvel Parsons. And so that entire character, Captain Marvel, is a nod and a wink, an homage uh, to Jack Parsons, all of which is like seeding our consciousness with this bullshit that is NASA, which I just learned NASA is, uh, has a philological root to placenta. So there's your vessel, there's your Argo, there's your ship
0: oh <laughs> uh, it took an hour to talk about placinda this time I mean, a little <laughs> late yeah we will probably never cover cover captain marvel that movie sucked too bad oh man it was horrible <laughs> okay so uh jumping over to avengers 2 for more of the specific trauma the movie opens with the cold war as in their fighting the russians in the snow i need i say more? Right. Uh, so and It's a proxy war. You know, it's not like America's fighting them. It is the Avengers versus uh, this organization, Hydra. But it's very much exactly the idea of the Cold War. It's a proxy battle.
1: Right. Right. So uh, the first uh, Marvel Avengers was the sun card uh, in Ares uh, initiation springtime, starting off the Alan Parsons project. Right. Uh, it's so the, and the second one is the moon card. So there's that, which is, uh, I associate it with Pisces, essentially. Uh, so we're, uh, we're there. It's like the two pillars. Uh, the summer is the sun. The winter is the moon. So the, uh, the sun in Aries, the initiation, uh, kicks off the beginning, the public side. The moon is on the download. That's why we're in the winter, the cold time of year, the silver, all these darker elements are coming in.
0: Yeah, and this is kind of the moment where the decline occurs as well. The team has peaked at this point, right? In oh, terms of co- cohesive coherence as a as a unit, you know, yeah. they're never going to be all together kicking ass without drama in in interpersonal drama like ever again.
1: Right, and this is Ag of Ultron. Ag is the periodic symbol for silver, which corresponds to the moon. So yeah,
0: and the moon has that quality of like this destroying or breaking things down, right? It's that cold emanation rather than the, the heat emanation. You nice. know, the sun ca- has rays that bring growth and then the moon has rays that bring decay. You know, you know <laughs> unless you think it's just a, a rock in the sky, <laughs> then I <laughs> guess none of that. You've probably never heard of that, but... <laughs> um, <laughs>
1: And Another cool thing: uh, Russia is notorious for having some fucking cold terrain, uh,
0: and they're badasses in the cold. Uh, but it's sistema. Yeah, never so invade Russia in the winter. Fuck, man! So they many are, generals have made that mistake. Got yes, handed to them.
1: Yep, it's like they thrive in the cold. So yeah, very apropos.
0: Uh, and so here's some pre-echoing of the idea of drones. As the police force that I found worthy of mention, how, in this scene where they're having the big battle in the uh Russian territories or wherever the fight is going on, that the Avengers have a whole unit of Iron Man suits that are autonomously piloted, and the people are like throwing tomatoes at it you know they're like get out of here avengers <laughs> i mean that's how you should react though to a drone police force that's not a good direction for the world to go in
1: right and, and it's uh they do these uh they beta test these programs in other countries first that's another part Perfect of it. like, weave. yeah they definitely make sure they they've mastered uh, their plans that they're going to bring stateside, but they start elsewhere so they can slowly encroach on us, which is kind of what's happening with that Smith Modernization Act. You know, we've the imperial expansion is has, has gotten to the point where there's nowhere else to expand. So now it's going to turn inward and all of it's going to come collapse back, uh, back to us, back to the back to the earth under our feet.
0: <sighs> uh, look forward to that. <laughs> I guess we're already pretty underway. <laughs> Um, now here's another important so yeah, Age of Ultron, just in general, if there was an, a a great theme to paint this with, it is transhumanism. And that's oh. its own giant topic, right? Age of Ultron is transhumanism. Uh yes. and it's like advertised with a lot of positive and a lot of positive elements, right? So you have this doctor who has created the technology to cause your body to spontaneously regenerate cells or whatever. And first of all, this was happening at the same time where, do you remember a a few years back and it was about the same time that this movie came out, all this chatter about lab grown, artificially grown organs, and you're going to get your kidney transplant out of a, you know, need a donor anymore. We're just going to grow it in a Petri dish and, Where did all that go? (laughs) It's just like all the other stupid ass technological utopia pipe dreams. It'll come back around and they'll tell us the same exact stuff again. Oh, all the nutrition you need, entire dinner, you'll feel full. Just swallow this pill. You know, all this stupid space age Jetsons garbage. It has a shelf life where they can get funding for money laundering of and, and paying, you know, their mafia stuff as much as they need through these like shell corporations that are think tanks where no work is actually being done. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. a bunch of, it's just a giant scam and you know, all being sold on this notion of medical miracles, utopia, immortality, all of it is just around the corner, guys, just sit tight. Everything's just going to be done for you. And so I thought that this whole point of like, she could just regrow the cells right onto the body with a magical little ray of light is exactly the thing that they were telling us back then about growing your organs in a Petri dish. Hey, no need to ever figure out the deeper (laughs) meaning of what it is that even causes your body to heal. Like, oh, has nothing to do with some kind of pranic energy, universal life force or consciousness that has the ordering principle to all nature and allows your body to regenerate itself as long as that life force isn't blocked by... Some walls of thought. No, 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 no. You don't need to figure that out about how you actually work and why you exist. Just right. run your vehicle that your body is. It's just a, just a car, run it into the ground and take it into the shop and we'll, you know, we'll patch it up and no need to educate the driver on how to operate hey. the vehicle. It's oh, just, man. just swap out some parts and we're getting really good at manufacturing new parts and just trust us. Hold on just uh, around the corner. Like dude, it'll come dude. back. They'll tell us that bullshit again soon.
1: Yeah, man! Oh, there's such a huge weave to this. It's so fascinating that the metaphor you chose to use there. Uh, Before I forget, I want to point out that uh, that here we have an Asian doctor in the medical field. Are we seeing the 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 path laid for the Wuhan wiggle? You know what I mean. Uh, There is a thread to that. The organ harvesting aspect uh, that probably. that make, brings my thoughts to the um uh what do they call the qigong cults in China that they uh that are uh they're the prime real estate for organ harvesting because they practice this this specific type of yoga that they get snatched up all the time because uh people who want to buy organs they don't want any organ they want organs from yogis people who practice yoga the special kind of qigong yoga. Um, that comes to mind, which is a fascinating thing. And I, I, oh, I don't and wanna... that's
0: another boogeyman too, that's a, by the way, total boogeyman. A boogeyman, like I actually remember, um, some guy who went on InfoWars about it and was like all over the podcast space yeah, talking about the organ harvesting organ harvesting. Oh my God. And I had the tiniest show in the world back then. And I even got an email from that guy and I was like, okay. And I was about to go through with the show and something told me like, there's slime here. And this is boogeyman. And like, this is not the worldview I want to proffer forward to, you know, my audience. And I just kind of in the last second, I was like, I don't want to do it. Sorry. (laughs) And I appreciate those little moments of like, realizing that that's not my path or that's not the, there's something wrong with that. And anyway, I was right. So
1: There's there's something about that, like making it, making this, uh, this false story far away, very far away but that people who are healthy and practice this yoga are going to get organ harvested, that plays into the CCP agenda in, a, in an absolutely fascinating way. And I just want to say this, so does making the Dalai Lama into the devil incarnate. I don't know what the f- really happened with all that, but I just want to say that uh, the CCP is rubbing their hands in joy that the Dalai Lama is getting so much uh, bad press. I'm not backing him. I'm just saying it, it, the K-Bono thing uh, is something to consider with whatever that was. I do not even want to talk about whatever that may or may not have been, but it does make some people very happy to see the Dalai Lama go through a fall. But then I want to say this, the thing you were saying about the car, about don't, worry, don't educate the driver about how to maintain the car. We've got all these mechanics who will just fix you once you screw it all up, do my, uh, my Prius I wanted I I could my Prius I wanted to fix it myself. I'm in there. I'm trying to like you know gain affluence over this electro me, electro mechanical device. I couldn't read any of the labels. They were all in Chinese. I think they were in both forms of Chinese, like Mandarin and uh, the other one. Uh, but there was nothing written in English in the inside of the car. It was all in a foreign language, uh, and that was so frustrating for me. I was like shaking my hand at the sky. Uh, So yeah, just wanted to throw that in there. It's just so interesting that your metaphor hit so close to home.
0: So it looks like somebody accidentally got uh, maybe banned or a timeout in the chat. (laughs) Uh, I will address that and figure out how to unban that person because it was, I believe, an accident. Anyway, moving on. If you're still here, uh, Fandango uh, will fix that up. We're not Thanks. trying to silence people without a cause, but I will ban you for life if you suck instantly without a second thought, <laughs> <laughs> whoever you are. <laughs> okay, so also there's the uh, scene where Banner and and T- Yoni Stork are <laughs> having their conversation about why they need to create AI. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny how there's all this intentional uh, connection in media, calling Elon the Tony Stark of the, of the real world of real life. And yet Tony Stark, the creator of AI and the proponent of it, (laughs) you know, his, his counterpart in Elon Musk has actually repeatedly been, everyone's quoted it. AI is summoning the demon. Like, whoa, (laughs) Whoa, and that's a whole weave in and of itself. But in terms of like if energy and consciousness are in some way synonymous and that energy takes on a type of consciousness re- related to the shape of the container that is in. And if our container has this this through line, this silver cord, as mystics describe to source. And that's part of like what feeds our vessel. And that prana is what generates the ordering principle in our body and allows us to heal and grow. And, you know, for one cell to multiply into the however many is in an adult over time. Well, what happens whenever you put the electricity into a closed loop circuitry that has a mimicking of a neural network or a brain or a human body? But it doesn't have that silver cord out to source or the cord that it has is to the Internet, (laughs) you know, a limited but simulated collective mind or source. Right. Mm -hmm. That, you know, in a sense that if if energy is conscious and it's just a matter of like if it has the circuitry to be self-reflective in its consciousness, because consciousness is feeling. And I think things, things and beings can have feeling without self reflective consciousness that we consider to be like the, the feeling of individuality, possibly. Yeah, man. Well, yep. then these things that we're calling AI <laughs> in some sense, I'm not a, I'm not ruling out the possibility that it is a type of like demonic construct in the way that, um, the energy is in this closed loop circuitry and has the ability to, Possibly self-reflect and but also be separate from and some nothing can really be separate from source. Nothing can be removed from nature. So maybe I'm like talking myself out of the whole idea. But I think this might be what they think in their whole little, you know, their mad scientist laboratories and their code right. monkey right. workshops, sweatshops and all that. And there's a lot about that, that you might want to respond to. But like overall, the trauma being invoked here is the environmental crisis, the earth and trauma. War, all the different extinction events that were constantly fed that are just around the corner. Oh, so how eight years will all be dead from climate change. Oh, Actually, it's 10 years from next year. Actually, you know, and it's always the goalpost moving. It's always bullshit. You know, oil is peak oil, in the 70s. It's over and over again. But yeah. what he says is a suit of armor around the world. And that actually has a term in sci-fi, you know, fantasy land. The Dyson sphere. The Dyson sphere. And there's like nothing more like energy vampirism than a Dyson sphere. It's the idea <laughs> of like building a uh an energy siphoning device that you know encircles like an entire star or a sun and then powers a civilization by eating the light off of this soul star. Right. But, buddy,
1: man, so much here. Uh, For one, the fact that they don't call it what we know it to be is them leading the witness. They're leading us into the phrase. Like all the people in the movie theater, they're like in their mind, they uh, they realize, oh, he's talking about a Dyson sphere. Well, drop the D off of that phrase. I sense fear, and that is Tony Tony Stony Ark's entire forte. Is fear of the future? You know what I mean. It's really fascinating uh, psychologically. The that that lead that he's setting people up for, and on the artificial intelligence, I love that. I love that whole uh, uh, thought experiment. I often point out that intelligence is not consciousness. So when people say artificial intelligence is going to do all these things, well, they it will never have feelings it can never have feelings it will always be a tool and tools don't have feelings they don't have sentimentality they don't have uh they don't have intuition they don't have musical appreciation they don't have je ne sais quoi they never will they can only Im- imitate and emulate uh so in that aspect i'm not uh artificial intelligence can uh, that's a term of uh spycraft intelligence is spycraft Uh, And so they can never replace us because they'll never have the feeling aspect of the human experience ever. Uh, They never will. They can only pretend to. Uh, Oh, and this part of the whole, like philosophically, this is a very profound part of the entire arc of the Avengers uh, process. Because here we have the, uh, he's basically like the Socrates. He's the... uh, Yeah, he's like the Socrates, the uh, mystagogue of science, uh, who is depicted as cancer in his death scene, by the way. Um, And he's talking about
0: mystagogue, mystagogue of science. So weird. Yeah, (laughs) buddy. That word was just in my mind. And it's so specific. I was like making sure that the guy wasn't on the band user list in my settings. And, uh, I came across <laughs> a certain mystagog publications that is a band yes. name in the list. And I was like, ah, that fucker. And then you're like, Mr. And I was like, we're all connected as hell.
1: Wow. So, very, very sinky. Yeah. So he's doing a risk benefit analysis right here is kind of what he's talking about philosophically. Um, and this is a huge thing. Like, I'm actually, I'm on this right now in the Enneagram where Socrates is a number seven. He is the chariot card. Uh, and he has this strange relationship with art and tragedy. Uh, there's this strange connection between the seven and the five personality that, uh, it's like a pressure point for the collective consciousness that is most profound. I'm not really ready to, uh, to hash it all out here and now. Uh, but, between art and science, uh, there's just something next level about the human experience. But I got to say this, this is also where science is supposed to be completely objective. But finance is is the opposite. Fi- uh, the way that things work is based on bias. And our bias uh, is where we put our money. It's where we put our our vote. We vote with our dollar. So our bias is all about finance and science is, is objective. I mean, it's got the word buy in it. <laughs> it's got the word buy in it. Great point. So something about science claiming to be objective and finance being fundamentally biased means that they are like total opposites of each other in a certain context.
0: Well, and okay, so, can I make a little caveat to that? That is yes. to accentuate your point, right? Yeah. Finance operates on this demon of mammon, which is false valuation. It's putting a numerical equivalency or even an exchange rate between things that are priceless in nature. So it is inherently anti-scientific because there's no natural law behind finance or markets or value other than in the subjective. I feel like I win if I give you this and you give me that. And then that's yes. natural. But as soon as you branch it out into like, for everybody everywhere, a gallon of milk costs this, you know, now we're getting into weird territory and it goes, it gets all sideways fast.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So there is something really big going on. That what is kind of fascinating is that this difference between the bias and the objective, uh, it is, it is mapped out on the Enneagram. It's between the number five and the number seven personality. Nietzsche wrote about it Nietzsche expounded on it very thoroughly um and it's it's unresolved it's still unresolved but you'll see people in their philosophy kind of dancing between like oh i'm i believe in the science uh but we know that the science is bought out uh and it has intrinsic bias to it and so their argumentation has a, a kind of a I, I again i always go back to this pressure point There's like this weakness in their defense, and it is that your science is paid for. Your science is finding what it's paid to discover, Uh, and therefore it's not truly objective. And let's also point out there's no such thing as the
0: science. There are all types of science. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, questioning conclusions is science. Yeah. (laughs) Consensus thinking is not science. It's like, yeah, that's definitely well said, buddy. You gotta remain as king. Buy us bias, because the scientific bias comes when you know, if you're the scientist, please buy us out. <laughs> we'll give you whatever data you want if you buy us. <laughs> we'll bias <laughs> the data towards you. That's right. so true, dude. Um, and then okay, so the out of control AI feared the future trauma that Tony Stark has. Here's his tr- chickens coming home to roost, his trauma of being afraid of the future. Showing his face and damn if they don't really invoke the idea of AI being a demon with uh, Ultron's coming onto the stage here.
1: Yeah, man, you know, another metaphor to this is. um, If you believe if you believe the science too much, you're going to vaccinate your child and then your child will be born with a with a a malady of some sort, and then you got to live with that. You know, that's a, that's another trigger that this is going to bring up for a lot of people is like uh, Tony Stark. He, uh, because I remember when when I was waiting for my baby to come into this world, I felt like I was on the judgment seat and that God was going to maybe punish me or that my child would come out with some situation that was my karma, that God was literally had a chance to bring my karma into this world and, uh, and judge me. Uh, and somehow i was completely blessed to have such a beautiful uh a beautiful uh being and reflection of my soul uh come into the world uh but some
0: people uh their child is not yeah, That is karma though dude you you're you're, a, you're an amazing individual nobody like you <laughs> i am i'm very very blessed
1: but some people their child comes into this world with a with an issue like you can see how this thing can't really stand up right it looks like you know, like it has a malady of some sort and that's oh, a trigger. And for-
0: he's the top science guy. Yeah. He right? trusted the science. And it's like when uh, Jonas Salk, Jonas Yoni, the uh, guy who did the polio uh, post right? on live TV, gives it to his grandchildren and one of them dies. Right. Mm-hmm. You know,
1: right there. Bingo. You nailed it. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, buddy. I'm glad you remembered his name.
0: Yeah. We're still told that we've wiped out that particular uh, issue thanks to the science. Okay, so moving forward, the whole AI thing is a huge theme in this movie, but I don't think we need to beat it. Uh, there's too many little, there's too many other details that are fun to observe that may not have been caught by most or anybody. So in this, later in this film, uh, the Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver are characters in this film as villains. And so there's a lot of, there's another Gemini thing going on there for sure. Mm -hmm. Worthy of its own analysis. We have talked a lot about Scarlet Witch and the, you know, the evil mom (laughs) archetype that she grows into later in the series and great stuff in the uh, Doctor Strange decodes we did. Holy, holy smokes. That was good stuff. But there's this part in the film where she infects the minds of the various Avengers by giving them a vision of their worst fear coming to life. So invoking their trauma to control them and alter their behavior. It's so, it's like trauma-based mind control much? (laughs) I mean, there (laughs) it is. It's right there. But what I find fascinating is that at the same time, the moviegoers are having a recent trauma, uh, something to be afraid of, dredged back up in their mind. So this occurs, all this scene in South Africa is where they're at. And Hulk, his, his fear is losing control and hurting people. So she gets into his mind. He goes into Hulk smash rage mode, ends up demolishing a lot of this city in South Africa and include like the imagery. When you really look at it, just look at this screenshot. It looks like an earthquake, right? This is what it looks like when an earthquake goes down. Well, well, just six months before this movie came out in South Africa was a major earthquake Whoa! and then six months later age of Ultron earthquake imagery trauma trauma smash smash South Africa
1: I vaguely remember
0: that now that you're saying it and I remember thinking it when it was in the movie when I rewatched this the other month it was around the time that the turkey earthquake happened and I was like oh that's what it is it's Earthquake in Turkey. They're pre, pre-echoing an earthquake in Turkey because there's all this talk about like, was that engineered? Was there some yeah. um, some way of generating earthquakes going on? But I looked deeper into it. I was like, no, dude, <laughs> they, had, they had their, well, every earthquake, everyone who's ever been afraid of an earthquake, that trauma is being invoked by yeah. this scene in this movie but so specific that like, just the closest earthquake in the world that was a major tragic earthquake to the release of this movie was in the same geographical location where the earthquake happens in this movie. That's too too much, man.
1: That is way too much. And uh, remember our thing with the Eternals uh, predicting the volcanoes on the Canary Islands? They were shot on location on the Canary Islands with this crazy hand coming up. Uh, and then, sure enough, it was within months that the actual volcano happened in that location. And I, I don't want to get off the rails, but I just want to put a little pin on this one, bro. I've discovered that there is a uh, temple to Pluto, an actual temple to Pluto, in Turkey, and they've discovered it, in there's toxic gas that comes out of this this chasm in this temple. Uh, It's got an inscription on the entrance. There's birds, dead birds all down in this cave down because of the gas is killing the birds. And I found out that argon, number 18, argon is a gas they use to kill birds. And it means slothful. Pluto is the slothful one. One plus eight is the nine. He's the sloth on my Enneagram. All of this is a huge side weave. I don't want to get off track. But the earthquake in Turkey uh in uh i'm gonna look up and find out if it had any effect on this temple of Pluto because man fucking hades is he's marching through my thoughts I'll tell you what I'll just say that
0: well, that sounds like worthy of future investigation and and you know bring that back on a vibrant when appropriate
1: yeah i I got a lot of fleshing out to do on that, but there's something far you're like, out going on
0: you you're like a fisherman with ten thousand fishing lines in. 360 degrees in all directions. And you're just like nibble over here. Oh, got it. Nibble over there. And you're just. (laughs)
1: It's like, uh, it's like Argos uh, with his hundred eyeballs looking in all directions. (laughs) That's you. Yeah. That's totally you, dude. Oh
0: my gosh. Now watch out. Hermes might come and slay you for revealing all the secrets.
1: (laughs) That's why, that's why I don't listen to music too much. (laughs)
0: Oh, that's what makes you the professional guest that is just like this social butterfly on everybody's show all the time, the most frequent guest for everybody. (laughs) MVP is because you got your eyes are in all directions. Yeah, but sweet, dude. Okay, so and then um just to cause some powerful cognitive dissonance as the characters in the film experience, we get vision as a character introduced, the AI savior. And there's even like, you know, there's even a scene, I don't have a screenshot of it, where he's like descending from the sky and his arms are outstretched and like a cross. He's also killed, sacrificed intentionally later in the series to, as an attempt to save everybody by destroying the mind stone that he carries to keep it from Thanos. So, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> AI savior, that's vision. And he's, you know, he even thought about how... um this may be a little stretchy, but vision and wisdom being uh, philological cousins, uh, how V and W very, you know, swappable, and then uh, S can often become ST indiscriminately mm-hmm. it, it just asks, depending on who's pronouncing what, and then T, if someone wrote it down with an ST, then someone might say it more like a D sound. So anyway. Little stretchy, but like vision and wisdom, I think he's the mind stone carrier uh interesting links there, but mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if we have to linger too much on vision as a a theme in the film other than this cognitive dissonance of like a i could destroy the world, but also you know check out chat g p t it's gonna make your life way better it's the savior it'll keep you from having to write your exam paper <laughs> that's
1: so true they uh
0: They also, they make him like, uh,
1: he's also, you know, the red skin. He's uh, very, uh, there's a lot of sentimentality around him. And so they are absolutely trying to convey the idea that uh, uh, it's the kind of thing you can fall in love with. that can uh, uh, Because, what's her name, Wanda, you know, they have a heart-centered connection. uh, And they end up pulling on our heartstrings, ultimately, with the relationship between them. So it's like, yeah, this is, uh, he's like the fucking, he's the sex bot. He's the sex bot for oh the ladies. Oh my God,
0: he's the AI sex bot. Oh he's the AI sex bot, buddy, for sure. I've never it, actually watched the uh, WandaVision show either. Is yeah. that worth it or is it stupid?
1: Well, it's, it's there are redeeming factors in it. I'll say this, the most redeeming thing I got out of it, it's, it's pretty much stupid. It's pretty much stupid, but. It, it looks like it there is something that is rede- that uh was worth my effort and that was in the ultimate battle you find out that magically speaking whoever has uh put their sigils on the perimeter of the battlefield whoever has control of the jurisdiction has control of the battle itself uh bring UK and seeing. uh, yes. Yes. The UCC. Good call. So uh, that was one of the lessons from WandaVision is that if your sigils, uh, Trump, the other person's sigils, basically, uh, it's a law thing. It's a law thing. But if you can claim the larger jurisdiction, then you're going to win the battle. And there's, uh, there are other things about like the art of war that are kind of woven into the WandaVision thing. Uh, so it's it's consumable. It's consumable.
0: I just kind of took a little pe- peek at his IMDb and apparently played like the Archangel Michael in a movie called Legion. I could be getting <laughs> that wrong. Anyway, <laughs> sometimes we find like really crazy shit when we just look at their IMDb and uh, I'm right. probably missing something. But moving forward, because we have plenty of good stuff. Um, mass extinction event a meteor coming from the sky. That's a big one that, uh, so, you know, Ultron rigs up a machine to cause this city to get raised up into the sky. And then he's going to drop it, but not just drop it, but slam it into the ground with extra force, thus creating a mass extinction event. And need I say more about the whole Yoni Stark, the dove of the arc, Tony, who saves right. everyone from the destruction and regenerate, and then the world is able to go on, right? Because yeah. that's what this event is. This is Ultron is attempting to remake the world in his image by destroying all life. That's exactly the mythos of this character that we're, you know, of, of this overall cycle of uh, mythology relating to arcs and and big whales and cetus and. There's many versions,
1: man. Yeah. And you know, there is a huge weave with this. Oh man. Uh, okay. I'm going to show, I'm going to show my cards. Uh, I think I'm going to, uh, in my project on the slick dissident shared learning experience, I think I'm going to give, (laughs) I love it. I love it. Let the good times roll. That is beautiful. Thank 100%. you, Sherry. Thank you, Sherry. That's very kind. I'm glad that's catching on. So um, I'm about, uh, there's a one card that I haven't give, given, a f- I haven't assigned a philosopher. There's a couple. Um, but I'm about to try to assign um, Ayn Rand to the star card. And this uh, this, in the Atlas Shrugging. And there is a huge weave to this, but uh, Tony Stark and the idea of this entire city, this, the civil contract, the social contract, the Hobbesian social contract is collapsing. Uh, and Ayn Rand is integral to that aspect of, for every individual to go through that process. It's like uh, just in, in uh, taking in the Ayn Rand lens is enough to collapse your worldview in a very major way. And what that would mean in mass is a very profound thing, and it's already kind of happened in a strange uh, way. But if you think of the star card, she is holding up a moon on her arms. Uh, the Thoth Crowley star card, specifically, she's holding up the entire moon on her on her shoulders, and so in that aspect, she is very much like Atlas. Um, And if Atlas shrugs, then the whole world collapses. Well, when you take an Ayn Rand, a lot of what your preconceived notions about how things work in the world, it goes through a major collapse. And that is very much what I think Tony Stark goes through in that film in a strange way. It's like he's having his Atlas shrugged moment.
0: Yeah, but he never loses sight of the altruistic motivation. Right. Which is why he ends up being the champion of the crowd consciousness of, over the individual in the civil war, where he takes on the role of, you know, register with the a government, no private identity allowed, no autonomous behavior. You got to take yep. orders from the top. You got to work with the group. You know, yep. he doesn't yep. really get the message. He doesn't learn his lesson from it, from the Ultron. The Ultron is the right. ultimate like hive mind, right? Yes. And then, um, And that's probably, you know, also related to his parental trauma not yet being resolved. But the other thing about this meteor mass extinction event trauma that also links it to uh, thematically links it to the end of the first film is how we are told. Again, remember how at the end of the first film, he he gets the hole in one. (laughs) He inseminates the the portal, (laughs) saves the world. You know, new world is born. Well. We are told by the whole like space crowd, <laughs> astrophysics and whatnot of this notion called panspermia. Or in other words, the idea that somehow life is seeded onto the planet by impacts of, you know, space debris. Mm-hmm. And in this sense, we're getting an echo of that because A, there's life on this rock. It's right. going up into the sky, but it's going to knock out all life when it hits the ground. This meteor, and then new life in the form of the you know metallic you know, Homo artificial <laughs> is going to be hobo, Homo roboticus <laughs> is going to be like what comes out of this panspermia meteor extinction uh, event. Yeah. So, you know, and in many ways, that's probably what's behind the intent of. The real genocide, the real ecocide, the real toxifying of the environment that is not properly discussed in terms of how of climate change, climate change, climate crisis right Mm -hmm. there. They it's like a limited hangout on what's really going on with the, uh, you know, these dark fake Gnostic jailbreak the construct, you know, do enough bad deeds that. Someone's got to open the lid on the the firmament and come down here. And at that point we jump them, <laughs> rule in <laughs> hell rather than serve in heaven, all these different philosophies, right? That nice. if uh that, I think that that could be behind why the, like why even why would uh, the days out there be willing to spray the chemicals in the sky that they're under is possibly because if the acceleration because the, the key of this doctrine of destruction and regeneration of the world is that the, the, the belief is philosophically that all things that ever have happened or all, all forms that ever arose on the realm, uh, in order for God to not have made a mistake, then there must be a cyclical nature to all things. And that because we see things come and go, A city rises, it passes away. A people, a culture exists, it's gone. That those things would be, philosophically, there's a school of thought that that, those things would be a mistake from God unless we believe that they will come back someday exactly as they were. And if there's a cyclical nature to it, as we see the cyclical nature of nature and seasons, then and this is where the idea of the yugas and the great cycles comes from, that there will be another Troy. There will be another Iliad. There will be another World War II. All of it will happen again. And that to accelerate the return of a golden age, we got to destroy everything so that we speed up the return of everything. And I think that could be behind why even there's a self-destructive nature to controllers and, and, uh, you know, genocidal maniacs like the Bale uh, Gates. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, buddy. Oh my gosh! It's
0: such a good setup,
1: chance. This is this is a fun one. Right. it sets up Infinity War, homie? Yeah, it does, man. Yeah, man. And okay, snow. I, I want to uh, just kind of mention the parallel of this city being destroyed and the people. They literally get on ships uh, while the land is pulled out from under their feet. So they're literally being taken off the land uh that is the, the land based law and then they go on to s- s- ships for salvation that is paralleling what happens in ragnarok in uh in ragnarok the city's being destroyed by surturs uh hella battling Hela, and the people get on a ship for salvation Wait, Surtur. so you, oh yes yes so you have the, the big fiery the, devil guy.
0: the fury of the sun yeah
1: and so there's a parallel going on with that, where the people go on to citizenship for salvation after this conflagration, uh, oh, which is. Can we
0: tell the people what they named this ship of Norse deities as guardians. What, what they called the citizenship. What was that? Dude. They named they, they tell you the name of the ship at the beginning of uh, Infinity War. When Thanos is attacking the ship of Asgardian refugees, their citizenship yeah. after they've left the land, they're no longer free on the land. They're calling Mayday. The ship is calling Mayday. The ship is the Statesman. What the fuck, bro? It's the tip of the yard. And in that moment, that's the opening scene of Infinity War, right? And yeah. for the first time, we've never seen this in any of the other Marvel movies. As they show you the Marvel Studios opening graphic, and as you pointed out to me in a message, the I and the O in studios, the yo, the yod, yeah. ten, yeah. is a different color. They are showing your hand. They're showing their yod. They're showing their ten. Right and the very the next beginning. thing they say is like, mayday, mayday, the statesman, the citizenship is going down. Dude, it's a massive tip of the hand that they're, you know, little wink to people like us. They're like, yeah, we're hip to the spiritual element of all this legal sorcery. But none of these sheeple are going to get it. Their ship is going down. Their citizenship is a detriment to them. You know, the citizenship is death and slavery. It's fucking all there. It's a massive tip of the hand.
1: Okay, so this is a, this is, we're on the fly here. I'm just going to try to bring it to bear as best I can. So let's see if I can do this. So it's 14 is the 14th amendment. We just got done with the 13th amendment, which would have been the death card, which is the Ragnarok. And then, uh, so the next, the next tarot card is the 14th card, which is the uh, temperance. Um, but we're moving from Scorpio to Sagittarius. And I just today, there is something to do with this island that is the Sarah. It's a, Oh man! I just found this thread today. It's a type of harp, and it's the name of an island off the tip of Greece, but it is the uh, guitar It's where um it's the, the Sitar This is the Sitar harp, which there's a thread here between the sad guitarius. this type of a harp, which is the name of an island off the tip of Greece, and it having a thread to um to the citizenship in a fascinating way. I'm just I just I'm kinda of going because this is an undeveloped idea. But well, there's what still- I want to
0: just pop into there and see if it sparks anything in your noodle yeah. real quick is that like I noticed the potential of defeat musical diffusion yeah. through the guitar and the bagpipe. That these are instruments from different regions that have an element of Maintaining the tonal center through a drone, right, drone right, sound. right. I don't know if that adds anything, but you know, we are talking about drones and the AI of it all.
1: Well, this, it's so funny that you're saying that. I did not think about the bagpipe because that is really something. Uh, because well, a
0: pipe organ has the same element of a drone, like a sound that can be maintained as a tonal center, and it just continually that sound blasts out while the other stuff's going on on top too. Organs, yeah. bagpipes, guitars, it's all there.
1: Yeah. Well, the interesting thing about this is that I was it was an analysis of Frederick Nietzsche's Birth of Tragedy. It was his final chapters, and he culminates the whole thing, like the, the very end, one of the last weaves that he throws out there is the uh he's actually speaking of how powerful and useful dissonance is. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks because I've been kind of, I've got my ear out for the power of dissonance in terms of this great reset. And, you know,
0: I'm
1: slick. (laughs) dissident. It's like, (laughs) and and I did not expect Frederick Nietzsche to like culminate his works on the power of dissonance, uh, at the very end of his book, like he's really hammering home his point and he starts bringing forward dissonance, uh,
0: so we're yeah. point to bring in dissonance too you know at the end rather than resolving dissonance from earlier
1: right right he, yeah it really uh it was an unexpected maneuver i did not expect him to cuz he's a musician frederick Nietzsche was a piano player that's kind of that's why i he's kind of doing both he's like uh he is like thor in a lot of ways but he uses the hammer for musical purposes. He also, he knocks down constructs and paradigms. He shatters worldviews, but he also uses it delicately like a musician would to hit the strings of the piano. Uh, so it's kind of dual purpose.
0: Well, I've basically got through my slides pertaining to the, uh, the first two movies, other than to say the last thing that I feel is a major world event trauma pre-echoed. And there's probably others that I'm I'm missing that I probably caught when I watched it, but I'm I'm not grabbing in the uh slideshows. But the war in Ukraine, dude. Uh dude. Hawkeye here, you know, um the don't worry about the text on the screen. I'm just showing how like burned out cars and this is like an Eastern European uh it's what is it? the what's the name whatever they call it in the film it's a made-up country but it's equivalent to a ukraine Totally, it's in that sort of like post-soviet union collapse block of countries it's actually very connected to that through the uh in a captain america 3 you get that link made very clear as the bear zemo guy is dredging up the ghosts of the past of soviet trauma-based mind control super soldier programs. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think all this fighting in the streets that we see in the beginning and the end of this film has a resonance to getting people warmed up to the idea of, you know, war in Ukraine. (laughs) I do think that that's a big part of it. And even the idea that like we're fighting robots, like this scene, uh he says this he's talking to Wanda. He's like, the city is flying. We're fighting an army of robots and I have a bow and arrow. None of this makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a good line, dude. <laughs> yeah, it's like one of my favorite lines in the movie. <laughs> that's one of the things actually I like about uh the Marvel movies in general, is they do a good job of like getting that the cinematic realism, but not taking itself too seriously. And they play between those elements well. And I think that's why they're enjoyable movies where like yeah i don't know there's this sort of self-seriousness that come that oozes out of dc that just makes it feel so gross and i don't like i haven't really even bothered to go into that cinematic universe because just in the trailers it's like this looks terrible (laughs) you know what i mean but anyway there's also we didn't talk about maybe um hawkeye's particular flavor of trauma apart from the guilt trauma that he develops post uh snap where his family's killed but like the fear of not being prepared or not being special enough or not being strong enough is kind of a part of Hawkeye. Cause he's like a regular dude and not just a regular dude, but he's fighting with a bow and arrow. He's like behind the times, you know? And I don't know if there's more we need to say about him. I think it's probably even more beneficial to get into the end game stuff. And here's a slide we covered last time. Captain America three bioweapons leak at a market, you know, big time.
1: Right. right. But, uh, yeah. You know, I got a. I have a friend. Uh, this was a long time ago. You know, we see these headlines, and they are just like absolutely the, the things are like not lining up with the way you think they would. And my one buddy, he uh, I used to say that ah, it just doesn't make any sense. Why would why would it be like that? And he just would look at me and be like, "It's not supposed to make sense, bro. It's not supposed to make sense." And every once in a while, that is a good mantra. To just embrace and be like, oh, that's what's happening. It's not supposed to make sense.
0: Well, in a way, though, that entire nature of Hollywood, it's not supposed to make sense. Yeah, block right. a guy on the head and he's unconscious for two hours. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like that, that is, that's been ingrained in us for right. years and years from cartoons and TV and movies that, like, just a little clock on the head and. You didn't kill him, you know, so you're not a bad guy. You're not a murderer, but they are unconscious for the rest of forever. And you never have to worry about them getting up or calling someone on the radio. And anyway, that's just one example of how there's lots of little things in the language of film where we've been trained to accept that which doesn't make sense in order to go ahead and move forward with the plot and suspend our disbelief and other things. And this is this is what NASA is all about you know, accepting what doesn't make sense. This is what even, Mm -hmm. you know, the placenta of it all. At the very beginning of life, all these unnatural procedures are done to baby. You cut the cord, clamp it. Yeah. You know, you smear the goop on the eyes. Yeah. I mean, just millions of things are done to baby. And and none of it makes sense whenever you just consider like, Nature didn't design us to do any of this. Nature doesn't do any of this for us without all this artificial procedure, right? like yeah, I mean you're feeling it, just thinking about it, right? It's harsh, and yep. Hollywood is doing the same thing. you know there's constant NASA's doing the same thing, constant training uh I think the earth shape is this, you know, not everyone agrees with that, no big deal, but I think the whole idea of standing on a spinning rock flying through an infinite void in a meaningless existence is the getting accustomed to accepting that which doesn't make sense right. and if you've been doing that your whole life through video games through movies through tv through nasa through the science left and right where are you at man you live in a fictional realm <laughs> you live mm-hmm. in fic- fiction is now your um overlay on re- reality and okay. at the like you know if you could boil down the whole nature of the spiritual war Of this plane of inertia we're in. It is the battle between fiction and truth and Mm -hmm. things being out of place. Not that fiction shouldn't exist, you know, but that fiction is mistaken for truth and truth is treated as fiction. And this is Mm -hmm. the nature of the inversion. This is uh, where dark energy is generated rather than pranic energy. This is the deteriorating force. This was accelerating the process of, you know, the, the fabled and, and longed for destruction of all things that theoretically would lead to a, a regeneration in my opinion. And I think really? all these movies actually are capturing that theme in uh, sometimes overt and otherwise subtle ways. And that's why I want to talk about, um, I know that you gave, you did a good cram session on the, last Avengers films relating to Thanos, the snap uh, wiping out of half of all life, infinity stones. And so I would kind of like you to just take us through your notes on that. We got about 30 minutes. I know that's not ideal for how much there might be there, but please, you know, I'm going to kind of kick it over to you and let us bring it home with the, uh, the end game and how obviously if nobody's noticed that that movie where half of all life in the universe is wiped out uh, in the snap of a finger was called Endgame, And it happened right before they threatened us with this idea that like half of everyone, you know, is going to die from cooties, right? It's yeah. clear that there's a parallel there. It's clear. They're warming us up to the idea of our friends and families dying. And if there is anything to the magic of this spellcraft that is real, it's interesting because as you said, whether it's because they took the, the cow poke, the, the no voice or because uh, they got sick in some way and then went to the hospital and the rim death is near, took them out or whatever version of the, you know, chain of events there is mm-hmm. people lost people on both sides of the aisle. The people yep. that knew what was up and the people that didn't know what was up. Yeah, and man. it makes me wonder if like this big mass media event had some effect on the collective consciousness to, prime the pump for the idea that a bunch of people are all of a sudden not going to be here. Or if there's an astrological uh, occurrence that was coming, that was going to prime that. And then, you know, they threw gas on the fire with the whole end game narrative. I don't know, but it's a <laughs> take us away, man. I'm just ranting about it, but it, it makes yeah. me mad actually.
1: I, me too. Me too. And rightly so, you know, and, uh, and it is uh, ideal. That we transmute that anger and that rage, uh, and uh, channel it, and you know, put it to our put it to our purpose. Um, I'm inclined, and I do. I I struggle with uh, knowing that not everybody is going to have the wherewithal to transmute so much rage and anger, and that there are a lot of people who are going to fall by the wayside and uh, in. in uh in adopt the victim mentality <laughs> yeah brother yeah brother um but there is a part of me also who knows that the the cream of the crop are going to rise to the top out of all of this there's a part of me that knows that uh harnessing the spirit of the what people called paranoid eventually you crack through paranoia and you become the mystic. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah. The whole
0: Tessarion statement that conspiracy work is spiritual work. Yes. Yes. Like going into spirit will lead you to conspiracy. Going into conspiracy will lead you to spirit and you will have blocked your authentic progression. If you reject the other path, once you notice the fork in the road.
1: Yes. And so, to, in the strangest way, you know, one of my philosophies is to, you know, convert my enemy into my ally, you know, even without them knowing it. And so, in the strangest way, a lot of what we're seeing in this film, uh, it just pisses me off that there's uh, that there's a force that is so powerful that they can flaunt it in film uh, and tell us the plans in in advance. But then there's another part of me that is like. Yeah, well, it's on us to break through, to penetrate the, all that symbolic bullshit, and get this uh, this forty thousand foot overview uh, to see the actual landscape and all the revelation of the method that is in this project that is the Marvel Avengers. And I I never really thought of it until you said it last night that this is the longest arc of all cinematic history. Is there is there ever been a twenty plus Film long story arc. that's so vast. It's and and they're still going. I mean, they're still cracking them out. Uh, so it it really is. I mean, I've lost count. Uh, where, I, oh, where yeah, I like we haven't
0: even touched on the whole what's next okay. for Avengers with uh King yeah. the Conqueror and yeah. <laughs> I don't even know if we're allowed to talk about that. It gets too racial.
1: <laughs> oh right, right. Which and that mean, is right? well, yeah. That is a big part of the the program here. Is like. If they can make people overly cautious around race, then they can seed our consciousness all that deeper with racial symbolism and racial cultural implication, and then they can speak over our head even more because I can't because I feel uncomfortable uh, when I talk about Captain America getting arrested by a black dude, and in the next breath bowing down to his highness, who is a who is also a black dude. You know what I mean? It's just important that we can talk about these things and point out what they mean symbolically. Uh, uh, otherwise, we are stunting ourselves uh, in, uh, in the sense that we're not supposed to say these things, but we're consuming them. The artist is putting it out there and we're not even allowed to talk about what we're, you know, what we're seeing uh, put in plain sight. So that's a big part of the weave, too. Yeah, you're right. It's only going to get
0: trickier and trickier
1: as the, uh, as the plots develop.
0: Maybe that like as we're talking about the power of secrets right now. Yeah. Time to bring up your whole thoughts on the Hail Hydra moment with Steve. Can you set up that moment yeah. in the film yeah, and what happens and what it yeah. means? Yep. You know, uh big big up to
1: uh a bird dog and the chat. I'm pretty sure he's still in there. We had fun the other night. Um you know, uh this this is a metaphor i want to uh, i'm going to put this out metaphorically uh just for people to kind of see through this lens but you know there's a phrase that i i feel like some people attribute it to tesla but i'm not 100% sure who said this in the kingdom of lies truth is treasonous and so now think of this as like um i was talking about it as uh you know how black panther they have, uh, they scan the terrain and then he's able to, uh, on, a, on a holograph, he can see like a cavalcade of cars driving oh, down the road. That's Orwell
0: quote, by the way, truth is treason in the empire of lies.
1: Thank you. Okay. Very good. Very good. So yeah, so he scans the terrain and he gets a topographical 3D map of these cars driving on the road. And he can even predict and scan where they're going to be in five minutes. If these, if the, this momentum continues in five minutes, he can actually perceive what's going to happen in advance. And this is kind of what they do on the stock market in a
0: strange way. And so, it's kind of the idea of all things will happen again the way they happened before. Right. The, if the you part. are on that arc and you yep. go through the destruction and regeneration and you have all the data from what happened before, yep. well, I don't know. What do you do with that? I don't know. Just thoughts. Right. So, so in the kingdom of lies, think of the lies as
1: nanodust particles that have scanned the into all of the terrain and all of the things that are going to happen inevitably because they have all the lies locked down and in place. And if they want to, if they want to see who's awake and who's aware and who's savvy, all they have to do is seed one little droplet of the truth. And then they can see the connectivity of what's going on underneath the surface by how responsive we are uh, to the truth. Uh, And that's just kind of a a strange metaphor for like, if everything is locked down, nobody knows the truth of the realm, then one little droplet of the truth uh, stands out like a sore thumb on this backdrop of lies. And so this was demonstrated in the scene where, uh, they uh, I believe it's in Endgame, where Captain America is going they're going back through time and uh they're trying to collect all, all the infinity stones cuz they find out that three of them were in New York at the same time at one point and uh so Rogers Captain America he's going into an elevator and it's an elevator full of hydra agents and they have the the spear uh Loki's spear and he walks into the elevator and he, he now knows because he's got 20-20 hindsight. He didn't know in real time, but now he's a time traveler. So he knows all these guys are Hydra agents. And, all, and they don't know that he's from the future and that he now knows they're Hydra agents. So he plants himself in the middle of all of them. And he whispers in the one guy's ear, Hail Hydra. And that is the ultimate currency. It didn't take money. It didn't take uh, uh, labor or effort or any. It just took having one little glimpse of the truth of the realm. He was able to say, Hail Hydra. And they're like, oh, shit, he knows what we know. And so we give him the spear. We're giving him the spear of destiny. He's on our side. And that is kind of how they keep everything
0: on lockdown. The with- is representative of the secret letters. Yes, yes. Secret messages. Loki uses it to talk to the black robed alien priest.
1: There it is. He changes their mind.
0: He changes oh, their yeah. mind. Oh, he's, yeah, he's the strong man. But now, the force he, of eloquence with his words is how it right? overpowers them in that scene. Another, oh, man,
1: good weave. Right, right. And so then they, they're like, oh, shit, he's in the Hydra Club. All right. And they hand him the scepter, and he didn't have to fight. He didn't have to battle.
0: Mike Winter says, uh, working in the greenhouse, <laughs> listening while watering plants. Hail Hydro. <laughs> I love it, buddy.
1: Nice, nice. Uh yeah. So that was really a
0: fascinating one.
1: In uh in that aspect of like being in the club or just using a little gang sign to be like, yeah, I'm down with the hydra with the hydra crew. You don't have to do it where everybody can see. You can do it on the down low, you know. Uh, and it's just fascinating. And
0: H -h is also 88. Lots of weaves. Polymath thing says good one Yes, yes. keys on the piano. I want to throw this out there too, because we touched on a little bit, the symbolism of captain America with the uh, conservative Christian conservative, right? Of America. Yes. So there's this scene where he meets his, his, uh, self, his past self, and he gets in a fight with him and the guy, his butt is sticking up in the air, you know, the other hem after he beats him up. And he looks down and he's like, that is America's ass. While at least holding this phallic scepter, you know, like, I know yeah. it's super homoerotic. It's super mass masturbatory in a way. Right. But what I think is kind of a joke about all that is the closeted homosexuality of the Christian conservative, like, right. How much closeted homosexuality really goes on there that fuels the rage in the, in that entire movement, you know, and right. like how much of the uh, conservative Christian right and especially in like the talk radio sphere and, and all that, um, that they make their money yelling about the gays and about the trans and all that. Yet like they love that stuff. They love to have the opportunity to, point at like the the crazy college kid who's confused and be like you're the problem you're the problem like you know if all that evaporated went away their careers would go away exactly <laughs> they That's perpetuate true. it's the whole idea of being against something actually uh esoterically means you're for it right it, it becomes your identity it holds the thing up you rage the against. pillar the, the the two sides for and against hold up the pillar of whatever the thing is Great. Yep. Great point. And also,
1: he's the fool card. So that's Uranus. The joke on Uranus is his anus is he's Uranus is the fool card thing. So many levels to that. Yeah. Yep. Your anus is the joke, though. <laughs> <laughs> he's the butt of
0: his own joke. The yeah. Butt of his uh, own joke. Yeah. But, levels. you know,
1: but there is a moment at the end chance I'm because uh, it's you I'm glad you brought it up yesterday because today I finished the infinity wars and at the very end like I love how you pointed out how uh so if he is the christian conservative right uh the the pinnacle of all of that when he meets thor thor is like yeah I am the god thor and he's like yo bro sorry there's only one god he's literally in the presence of thor and he's still going to say now nah, there's only there's only one man well what's kind of cool is that they uh there's a redemption thing about that chip on his shoulder in the very end where he actually picks up the hammer of thor and he takes on uh he resolves that you know what i mean and he takes on the hammer of thor and he becomes the solution uh in his own way so i think it's kind of neat how they uh how they works that through. And at the very end he gets over himself and he takes on that root, the true root of it all. Uh, and yeah, there's an alchemical wedding there when he picks up the hammer.
0: You know, another thing about that whole, this is a little bit of a backpedal, but uh snake Jones is like, bro, captain America is a stud. Yeah, he is a stud. I like him as a character. I like the moral stance of uh, a lot of the moral stances he takes in the movie. And just like the idea of a, uh, of all that, but also there is the homoerotic undercurrent with him and Bucky that is super there, totally there. And everything I just said about, you know, probably not even kosher for YouTube about the, uh, uh the things I said <laughs> about his ass. But anyway, um, in that moment, like the him, him saying stud just now in the chat made me remember a little weave to add to the whole statesman thing, beginning of infinity wars. Try to make this quick. The uh, Marvel, Stude, ten, mm-hmm. you know, Stude, Yo, like they clearly distinguish the two parts of the word. Well, Stud, S-T-U-D, as in the beginning of Studio, is a philological cousin to the word State. Oh, damn. D and T, and then vowels, just swap them yeah. out however you want. Right, right. <laughs> you got right. Stood, Yo, and State. And so then they immediately refer to that ship citizenship as the statesman. I just found that interesting. Like it, right. may, it dawned on me because of how they did that in that scene. But
1: yes, and uh, I uh, I think it's Nietzsche who says that the uh, the the state is God walking on Earth, and that's the the left, the right, the left and the right. I think he says marching across the Earth, which is a very important distinction there. Um, and so, yeah. So when I went back, and I think it was uh, uh, Infinity Wars, they did something very unique when they flashed the uh, the Marvel Studios on there. Yeah, yeah. Um, the I and the O was hi- was highlighted in a very unique way, which brings forward the I O, uh, which is banking I O well, debt based system. But it's also the one and the zero is the ten. And that kind of stood out like a sore thumb to me because of the uh, this thing about the X and the Wheel of Fortune card and the Deus Ex Machina, um, which in olden days was like some crazy machine is going to come save the day. And generally the machine somehow on a subconscious level is going to imply that it is the state, uh, that the government is going to save you in the end. Uh, That's like an old trope, and uh, we talked about this last night, that now there's like this new thing where it's like Diablo ex-mechina, where uh, something satanic is going to come at the end and leave you with no sense of resolution whatsoever. And in fact, uh, and that's what happens, you know, uh, and Thanos Fauci snaps his finger, and uh, we have to wait years before uh, they... Resolved what Infinity Wars left wide open, like an open wound. And it was years later when they uh, give us the end game, which
0: end game. Was it, I anagram- thought they came out pretty close to each other.
1: Oh, I thought that. I thought it was, a, it felt like, to me, it felt like waiting forever. It everything. might have
0: actually been years. There were maybe films in between. Yeah. But like, uh, uh, Ant-Man and such. Yes, yes. Uh,
1: end game anagrams out to Digamma, Digamna uh in uh just an interesting little side point. But um but so it was uh Marvel Stu IO was a 10 and the opening scene was the ships battling each other. This big mothership is shooting at the statesman uh uh and they're sending out their uh their plea for help their SOS signal and so that is fascinating to me because it threads all the way through Star Wars even in Star Wars, the Wheel of Fortune was the, uh, the Death Star, the, the Diablo X Mechina, this giant machine of doom that's going to come and destroy everything. It's like the opposite. You know, that's why I'm saying it's like it's Diablo X mechana It's this dark machine that, that's looming in our future, uh, this in- inevitable singularity, so to say, because 10 reduces to a 1. It's all feeding into this, uh, this threat of the singularity. And so that's, a, and also, uh, I'll just throw this on the table as well. Um, dark Journalist. Dark Journalist has been harping on ex steganography for a very long time. And so you can kind of group everything that he has brought forward about UFOs uh, relating to the X, relating to this Wheel of Fortune, which is the only machine on the Zodiac. It's in Libra. Uh it's very it's basically in Libra. It is uh it relates to Libra in a powerful way. It's the Corona Borealis ultimately, which turns out is the bident <laughs> that is the the bear's den, and it's the forbidden fruit, it is the pomegranates, it's so many things, this Corona Borealis. But sure enough, what was it that locked down all the all the whole world for a couple of years there? Was the corona. And so it's so fascinating how these signs and these symbols all feed into this Libra uh, constellation. Can you pop in a couple of my crazy s- schizophrenic graphics off the telegram?
0: Yeah, yeah. We got about 10 minutes or so. Well, very apropos. Um, and I think we can definitely do that. I, I hope you also mention uh, the correlate to uh, Thanos in the real world. Uh, do you want me to pull up which graphic do you want me to pull up, buddy? quite
1: a few here um well actually if you can pull up uh pull up the one with moses and the tablets because that says a lot all in one and i just want to be clear i am not saying that the number 10 is evil i'm not i'm not talking i mean i kind of am talking about satan (laughs) In in an interesting way um
0: but I, yeah i mean, even I mean like, like the 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 10 or the t- is the x is the tav is the terminal point it's the end of the alphabet right. and this the last movie it's end game so they give you that 10 at the beginning where they highlight the the io the 10 i don't see oh moses and the tablets oh he's only tablets like medicine okay i see it now. it <laughs> <laughs> ah, took me a while i was looking for like the law <laughs> tablets here we go
1: right right so this one uh you know, this has Skynet. This is just me kind of uh, throwing all my ideas into one into one location. But you can see how the symbol for Skynet is in the shape of the top of the triangle of Libra. Uh, and this is, you know, Moses goes up and communes with the sky. He goes to the top of a mountain and he gets the 10 laws. We are in the 10th uh, zodiac sign uh, moving into October here. Uh, we're going through the, into the fall. um, But this is also a tenet The word 10, you reverse it, net, the 10 nets. Well, that means laws. You know, he went up and got the. Uh, 10 E T. Oh my gosh. T E N E T. And one of the laws is skin it, uh, skin eat, which is all uh, fuses back to the uh, circumcision, the covenant. Uh, You know, the eating of the skin. And
0: like kosher
1: laws as well. Kosher laws. Yes. The eating of flesh. Um, You know, this is, you know, today in our generation, they're going to teach the kids that like, oh, we got these laws from the Anunnaki. You know, they came from the sky. These sky gods came down and the aliens gave us the do and do not list. How to be good for goodness sake. Uh, Riding on sacred chariots. You know, it's so fascinating how... How much consistency there is in all these themes, um, but I'm putting the Wheel of Fortune card here because it is uh, essentially Corona Borealis is just a couple degrees away from Libra. I mean, it's just they're basically on top of each other. Uh, but the Wheel of Fortune card I've come to believe is uh, the Corona Borealis, um, which relates to uh, Hades Bident, and it also relates to the Benben Stone. It also relates to a little circle, a council of wise elders sitting in the symposium with one little missing section of it. All of that is uh, intrinsic to the Corona Borealis and all of the laws that give us our moral compass. Uh, The moral compass is also uh, very nearby. Pyxis, P-Y-X-I-S constellation, is literally a celestial compass. And all of that is in the Libra. It's uh, right there between Virgo and Libra.
0: And I'm just going to let you mic drop on on some of these for the sake of time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy.
0: Uh, good stuff, though. Really good stuff. Uh, I'm going to bring up this one.
1: OK. Yeah, this. OK. So this is important. Thank you. This is a good one to do. So what I think we're seeing with all this programming is they are on a very subtle level They are making sure that the mythology of the sky is embedded in our consciousness on in some way, shape, or form. With consistency, with, with the full scaffolding of the heavens, uh, subtly seeded into our mind in ways that we, that very few fully appreciate. And part of the consistency of that is, um, uh, Gomorrah. She is the Empress card. Uh, we're over in Pisces now. We're on the other side of the zodiac. She is in. Uh, she is the Empress card. She's basically Cassiopeia, is the Empress enthroned, the enthroned goddess figure, and she has a relationship to Andromeda, and Andromeda is this is Gamora's sister, who is a Nebula. And Nebula is locked in place, being tortured for a prolonged period, and that, and that having her locked in that position, that is Andromeda, who has a of a, a family relation to Cassiopeia. Andromeda is the daughter of Cassiopeia, and so when they put uh, Nebula in this tortured position, she is embodying the Andromeda constellation in a most fascinating way. And so these relationships of the characters are actually the mythological relationships of the zodiac signs and the constellations therein. So I just wanted to kind of put forward how consistent these relationships of the characters are uh, as the mythology of the heavens is basically being repackaged and sold to us for entertainment. Uh, And if can you zoom in on Infinity Wars? I just was kind of uh, doodling a little bit while I watched the film and I came up with some wild anagrams here, like infinity war. If you, if and you
0: fight in war,
1: <laughs> just, wiring vanity, wiring <laughs> vanity, uh, because we see ourselves in the film, you know, and we look for ourselves in the film. And in that aspect, it is like a mirror. It is like vanity. Uh in a good and a bad way, you know, depending on, uh, you know, different strokes for different folks. Some of us, you know, I'm a little ashamed of uh, me admitting yesterday that I identified with Thor so much. I'm a little, I'm a little <laughs> embarrassed. Um,
0: but no, that, that was, was when I was younger. Pretty cool.
1: That was that was when I was younger. Right.
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, just be careful who you tell that or you get labeled a Nazi. That's right. All good point. Good point. But also. So if we do uh, if we
1: convert the W of war to a G, we actually get infin- infinity infinite tiger, infinite tiger. And that makes me think of uh paper tigers and the fact that they're like a babushka doll of, um, of corporations, you know, they have like these throwaway corporations where it's like, Oh, you get, think you get to the center of who's in the, who's in the seat. And then they just throw that CEO away. We had like 2000 CEOs uh, who retired over the past, uh, over the past, a few years so it's like an infinite babushka doll of paper tigers uh and i'd like to think that those ceos are stepping down because they found ayahuasca in their life and they and they're answering (laughs) that
0: that whole chestnut has some dark tendrils potentially as well yes the amazon Uh, the commercialization of these types of plant medicines and you know that immediately attracts a different type of shamanic practitioner, but that's the yeah, side we've. I'm gonna go ahead and steal your thunder. I've been trying to trying to lead you to it, but we got to talk about Anthanos, Fauci. Oh yeah, and you know I think that's a good place to fit, to uh, mm-hmm. really show the parallel here. The six stones, you know, right? Give it, giver. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm learning so. how to speak Canadian. They say giver. Ever, <laughs> dude?
1: Yeah, buddy. So the uh, gauntlet in Italian is essentially monopoly. Uh, it means monopoly, and so and Thanos, Fauci. You know, the some people want to call it deep state. Uh, that's a pretty good word for it, but it's got a lot of. It comes with a lot of baggage. But you we know, just he would, really
0: focus on the unelected officials. Not that the elections I mean, matter; they're all selections nice. and a farce. But like these creatures that that lasts between administrations and they're like, they are a type of royalty, you know, there's an right. ability to that.
1: Right. What didn't we, uh, we, uh, we had a weave from moon Knight where we looked up bingo and it's like big international non-governmental organization. Bingo. That's what the that acronym stands for. And so, yeah, these fools are not elected. They are, uh, they are appointed. They do the cost benefit analysis you know the uh the mammon has put them in place not the science uh and it is not organic uh they are in uh yeah they're in in the brotherhood but yeah uh Thanos fauci he had i think it was five presidents in his hand even though there are six stones he had five presidents in his hand then he snapped his finger and locked it, locked everything down that is way too much power uh in one person's hand uh and the fella from uh from the NWO. They're not even stateside. NWO is
0: like. Right into the quick Google search and Thanos served under seven presidents. Oh, fuck. I didn't know that. That's even more than I thought. But yeah, he's done all this before with the whole, uh, AIDS right. thing as well. Oh man. And, AIDS and he is- did, he, you know, just like Thanos said exactly what he was going to do when he got the gauntlet, he said he was yeah. going to wipe out half of all life. Right. Yep. What did, it- uh, What did Fauci say during Trump's administration or before Trump's administration or whatever? There's that very famous video that's gone around of him saying there will be a major pandemic during the Trump administration. Big time. Announcing the plan.
1: Yeah. And AIDS. Yeah. The AIDS, the whole AIDS thing was a big setup. They were beta testing the whole thing uh, and targeting uh, gay black individuals, uh, specifically homogenizing them. Uh, Putting them experiments on them. It was fucking, uh, yeah, uh, it's the great American, kind of reminds you of the glory of the great American experiment. (laughs) Uh, But I got to point this out Uh, Hades, the H is silent. The word AIDS is the name Hades. And there is so much more to that. Uh, There is so much more to that. But Hades is basically the number nine on my Enneagram. He's 80s. Joe. Biden. Oh
0: my gosh. And it all was going
1: down in the 80s. That's right. It was oh going down God. in the 80s. We got Hades. 80s. We got Joe Biden. We got the Great Reset is upon us. Uh, and then we have Dis Seas. The Seas of Dis. This. this is the Roman name for Pluto. The, the Dis Seas. Yes. Seas. <laughs> Hades. I've been seeing Hades a lot lately. I tell you
0: what. <laughs> Well, man, this has been super good and there's not a really easy way to end it. I'm sure that there's so much more that could be talked about with the uh, Infinity War thing. But the big strokes of con- correlating that whole plot to COVID is is big. And then, you know, in all Marvel movies that have followed from that, the trauma of half the world disappearing and coming back has been a element that they never let you forget as if we're never right. going to. You know, the new normal things are going to be the way they're going to be <laughs> for, yeah, man. the way the shift has occurred. So the reason why we're going to wrap this up right now is because we've got a double header on the Universe channel tonight. I'm going to premiere right after this. I'll put the link in the chat right after this. We're going to premiere my conversation with Amanda D. Vollmer. And, you know, she's a legend in the 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 truth world. She's great. We had a fun talk and. So look forward to that, you know, <laughs> we're going to, it's a, it's not a live, it's a premiere, even though I think I'm wearing the same shirt <laughs> that I have on right now. Don't be fooled. It's not the same chance. That's chance of like a month ago when we recorded it, but. you know, buddy, There's a there's a fun thread here. It was Vormir is the planet where
1: they made the sacrifice to get the final stone. Vormir, was it? Vormir.
0: <laughs> Vormir. Yeah. All of that. I mean, we left out a lot. We may even have to revisit event like in a more granular way those two films and i would be open to it so we'll see because yeah, like man. that human sacrifice to get the power you know sacrificing your own children that's yep. definitely part of the uh you know cowpoke jab thing you know yep. jonah salk well like we saw it on tv gave yeah, a man. polio shot to his kid or his grandkid that kid died you know and then, sacrificing and then, your own progeny for The power, (laughs) it's and and uh, leveraging
1: leveraging all that destruction onto one person. Oh, all these people died, so now you got to do this, that, and the other thing. That's going to be part of the program going forward. Get your get your get your psychic defense on, (laughs) y'all.
0: So I'd love it if all sixty or however many people are on Rockfin and YouTube just came right over and watched the premiere. I'm going to kick it off pretty much right away. Gabriel, as always, it's been a fantastic pleasure to weave with you, man. And I think that we we succeeded in the goal we set forth with this overview of the series and showing all the big notes. Awesome stuff. Loved it. And I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, continuing hanging out with you guys in the chat, which I can participate more in as it's a premiere. And uh, with that, we're, we will close this chapter of the Demystifiers. Well done, everybody. See you on the next one. Thanks, Gabe. Love you, buddy. Love you, brother. Much love.